Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for November of 2020. Today is Monday, October 26, 2020, starting at 11.15 a.m. here in Denver, Colorado, and this is something like the 277th or 278th seventh episode of the show. Kelly, Kelly knows she's been counting since, <laughs> since day one. Since day one. <laughs> since day one. Uh, joining me today is Kelly Surtees from Kelly Sur- kellysastrology.com. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Chris. And also Austin Kopic from austincopic.com. Hey, Austin. Hey, Chris. Welcome back to the show. So we've got a little bit to talk about. There's been a lot that has happened in the world over the course of the last month, and we are reaching the last stretch of this sort of culminating two months of 2020. So a lot to go over. Let's start off with um, just the animation this month of the astrology of November. All right, so our animation, as usual, is illustrated by Paula Bellomini and animated by Hugh Tran. The moon starts off in Taurus this month with the full moon conjunct Uranus in Taurus at the very end of October, but that energy kind of bleeds through into the very beginning of the month of November. Um, eventually, Mars around mid-November stations in Aries, stations direct, ending its retrograde cycle, and we get a new moon in Scorpio. Uh, mid-month, I believe on the 15th. The Jupiter-Pluto uh, conjunction, the third one, takes place this month, the third and final Jupiter-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn. And then eventually, we get a full moon and lunar eclipse at the very end of the month on the 30th, which takes place in the sign of Gemini. So pretty snazzy animation this month. Here is the other calendar for the month that just shows the dates. So Mercury, of course, which has been retrograde for three months, stations direct on November 3rd, which just happens to be election day in the United States, uh, presumably completely unrelated. Mercury will ingress into Scorpio and leave Libra on the 10th of the month. Then we get that third and final Jupiter-Pluto conjunction on the 12th, Mars stationing direct in Aries, ending its several-month retrograde phase on the 13th. New Moon in Scorpio on the 14th, or sorry, 15th. Venus goes into Scorpio on the 21st, and the Sun ingresses into Sagittarius on the same day. Neptune stations direct in Pisces on the 28th. And finally, that lunar eclipse in Gemini on the 30th of November. So that is our basic overview of the forecast that we're going to be talking about for the rest of this episode. Um, where should we begin? I mean, we basically, since we start out the month of November with election day, do we jump right into the election or what are the energies that we're coming into November with? Should we maybe talk a little bit about that that full moon that we're coming in on uh, in Taurus or what? Uh, we should, but I want to make one general point uh, about the planets. If mm-hmm. we just look at the visible planets, right? So no Uranus or Neptune for or Pluto for the moment. Um, as the month begins, every, every planet except for the, uh, except for the sun and the moon is in a cardinal sign, right? And of the three modes, the cardinal, the movable signs are, um, they're considered dynamic, but also volatile. They are, you know, cardinal is make shit happen energy and Mm -hmm. for, you know, for good and for evil and everything in between. And to Was that Ptolemy, Ptolemy that said that? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's my translation. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm working from, on a. Par- I'm working. From, I'm working on a par- on a paraphrase from the original Greek. Got it. That's good. Yeah. Um, but that's that's an unusual thing. Um, we don't. Uh, it's very mm. rare that we have so much cardinal all at the same time, or, or so much in any of the three modes, right? And that's part of it's. Um, it's such a fundamental piece of the zodiac, right? The the every zodiac sign is one of four elements in one of three modes. Like you know, that's all like first couple months of learning anything about astrology. Um, but it still matters. And I've actually I've been doing uh, I've been referencing Dorotheus a lot um, in my year two class, and so I've been rereading that. And in elections, he he places a huge emphasis on just the mode of the sign that's rising, and it just made me remember, like, oh yeah, that that really does matter. Mm. Um, cardinal mm. fixed and mutable are very different. You know, fixed is steady, potentially boring, um, and mutable is. Undecided, prone to change, may double back on itself, may, you know, may do one thing and then another, whereas Cardinal is just starting, 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 getting things moving. Um, and so, you know, it does seem like <laughs> appropriate, <laughs> right? What what begins, right? Like this is, you know, this is so it begins, um, might be one of the many title suggestions for today. But anyway, just wanted to start with that. Lots of cardinal. And the moon will be in a cardinal sign exactly one third of the time. So that's six out of seven a lot of days. Yeah. So lots of cardinal stuff going on. Um, and especially like because it happens at the end, very end of the month, even though technically it is in October, the previous month. It's relevant just mentioning that full moon in Taurus, which we talked about in the last forecast. But because we're recording this on the 26th, that's still something that has yet to come or that's coming up here and that will sort of take us into the following month. And I know that we talked a lot about that full moon being very closely conjunct Uranus and the feeling of excitement, of electricity, and a little bit of like instability or surprises that are usually associated with Uranus, um, as well as this notion of things culminating or coming to some sort of completion with a, a full moon sort of energy at that time. Uh, how are you feeling about this full moon at this point, Kelly? Yeah, look, it's definitely, uh, I mean, I have mixed feelings because usually I love the full moon in Taurus. I uh, like that, uh, you know, the moon is exalted in Taurus, so there can be uh, a really grounding um, or anchoring or at least tactile and tangible quality. But of course, with Uranus there, you know, Uranus and Taurus are kind of different archetypes. Uranus is change and instability and, and shaking things up like earthquakes. So I, I do, I'm really, I guess I'm curious as to what kind of surprises are going to burst out from the ethers under that full moon. And then to keep in mind that that full moon does take us through the full first two weeks of November, because it'll sort of be the lunation of influence until we come to the new moon in the middle of the month. Um, and it's, you know, to, to, uh, bounce off what Austin was saying, it's a real contrast because we have this lunation in a fixed sign, but we do have five planets, like of the visible planets, excluding the lights. They are all in cardinal signs. So they're all trying to get things started. Whereas the full moon in Taurus is kind of trying to do something a little different. So it'll be interesting to see kind of who wins with that. Yeah. yeah. I, and for people. The, the, go ahead. 
just for people to think about where that falls in your chart and what house and the potential for unexpected developments or, or potentially even disruptions for better or for worse in that sphere of your, your life? Yeah, surprises. And are they welcome surprises or are they kind of those shocking, unexpected surprises? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I have two thoughts on this. I think collectively, um, rather than as an individual transit, um, it is it is the the last in the sequence of the October surprise configurations, right? Because we had lots of action with Uranus in uh, in October, and so right. and, and we that, get a big one on the very last was day. Per was perfect. Yeah, that, 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 that worked our, out our, quite well. That was our working title for last month's forecast: was October surprise due to the Mercury retrograde opposite Uranus, which we had two of, and then the full Moon conjunct Uranus, which we haven't even somehow gotten to yet. But I think that's already worked out pretty well. And so when I look at that, I kind of feel like I'm playing like a video game, like a dungeon crawler, and it's a big it's a big treasure chest that has a moon symbol on it. Um, and there may be there may be, you know, um, there uh, when that when I open it, there may be an explosion, there may be treasure, there may be poison gas. Um, there may be, you know, an, <laughs> um, you know, a plus three sword, um, but it's like, what's in the box, right? You know, because that's, we don't really have the full story on October until we find out what's in the box. Right. Mm. Right. And, and so November, and so we don't know what's in the box, but we know that November begins right after the box opens. Right. And so this is the beginning of November is opening, you know, opening yet yeah. another Pandora's box. Hopefully it's somebody <laughs> else's uh, container, but uh, there's been enough of those this year. Yeah, that's a really good point that we have to think about November as being a continuation and a culmination or completion of some cycles that began a while ago. So there's the Mercury retrograde period, which is a three-week period that eventually culminates on November 3rd with Mercury stationing direct in late Libra, but that's something that began at the very least three weeks earlier in the middle part of October. I guess right on October 13th is when Mercury stationed retrograde in Scorpio. Um, then we also will see the culmination and the completion of the Mars retrograde period with Mars stationing direct in November on the 13th, but that was something that began at the very least, way back on September 9th, when Mars first stationed retrograde in Aries, but really um, has been something that's been coming for a while since I think what late June, early July, when Mars first ingressed into that sign. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The um, I, like yeah, we, we were discussing how to discuss November, and um, there's no way to discuss November with what without discussing what led into November. Because we, as is clear in the world, but also just from the astrology, November does not begin a whole new story, right? It's all of these stories that have been running and intensifying, especially, let's just say, since September. There's some things that are longer, but you know, the, the we're in an arc that really began in September. Um, and <clears throat> one of those uh, one of those pieces uh, is Mars, um, and another of those pieces is Mercury. And so to talk about where we are going because these are retrograde planets. We literally have to talk about territory they've already been through and are going to do again. Definitely. Um, and then another one I will also be talking about is uh, the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, the third Jupiter-Pluto mm -hmm. conjunction, which also completes this month, um, which 
you know, we didn't put a, a lot of emphasis on initially in the first one because we were so focused on other ones that were more pressing at the time that were happening simultaneously, like the Mars Saturn conjunction that was happening in like March, April, and all the crazy pileup of Capricorn planets then. Um, but then we started taking note of the Jupiter Pluto conjunctions much more closely later in the spring and in, in the early summer when we got the second one. Because we noticed back then in, in one of those forecasts that for some reason they were starting to coincide with, um, at least in the United States, like the second wave of, of COVID um, tests and, and diagnoses and stuff. So we now have our, are getting into the third wave and we're seeing that potentially start to coincide again with the third and final Jupiter Pluto conjunction. So here's a little diagram that was made by. Kyle from Archetypal Explorer from archetypalexplorer.com and it just shows the three exact Jupiter Pluto conjunctions which the first one was in early April the second exact one was in at the very end of June early July and then the third and final one is going to culminate here around the middle of November and when you plot that against the um, new covid cases daily diagnoses diagnoses you see um, those three, the first two waves coincide pretty well with the first two conjunctions. And now we're sort of like on track to see a third wave potentially coincide with that in November, although we're still like a few weeks off. So it's actually a little bit unsettling looking at it from that perspective in terms of, you know, how, how high does that third peak end up being? Yeah, that's, that's a nice match. Um, well, one of the things that, I remember uh, talking about with the first one and the second one is the, and we talked about this. Um, I think we did better work earlier than you're remembering. Mm. Um, we talked about the Jupiter Pluto signature and how it shows up in the charts of virtually uh, a shocking percentage of billionaires. Warren Buffett's got it. Bill Gates has it. Carlos Slim has it. Um, it's something that right. shows up around like just epic money. Yeah. Um, and the first one coincided with an utterly unprecedented, I don't know what you're gonna call it, bailout, rescue, whatever package, the you know, almost three trillion dollars. And mm -hmm. I remember, and I want to take uh, accountability for this, I thought we were going to get a second um some kind of package in the United States um when the second one hit. Um, and there was the the discussion around that peaked at that time, mm -hmm. but then it didn't happen. And yeah. so now it looks like um, it, I'm, maybe, maybe that's because it was retrograde. About, right, that's what I was thinking. Because it looks like there will be a something um, shortly after. There'll be there'll there'll be a something um, around uh, something aid looting whatever combination of those it is. Um, package uh, around the third conjunction, which is also direct, and so mm. I'm I'm interested in that, like the, the Jupiter Pluto being the movement of huge amounts of money, right? You know, yeah. vast yeah. impersonal fortune numbers. Yeah, that's a good point because the, there's it's being there was some movement to try to push through get one going in October, but it seems like it's not happening before the election due to various political. Uh, maneuverings and things like that, but perhaps we'll see one happening in November, coinciding with this third conjunction. Mm. Right, and the the bailout in two thousand eight was also right after a Jupiter Pluto. It was right around a Jupiter Pluto. Okay, 
So we'll, um, we have that that tracking. Yeah, so that's another major, major cycle that's coming to completion in some sense, or at least peaking this month. Um, what are are there any other sort of completion things that we're we're following through this month? The only other one, and I think they're the the three major one, is that we do have the third and final Mercury Uranus opposition aspect that we've been watching as it went into, you know, we had first hit direct Mercury, second hit retro Mercury, and the third and final, which Mercury is now direct opposition to Uranus, will be around the 17th. Um, So we've got, it's interesting how there's a number of things that have been like a sequence of three or two things that have been going on, Jupiter-Pluto since April, but some of the Mercury and Mars stuff, you know, since September or October. And everything is just kind of coming to its conclusion point through November. Or it's like, here's the final piece. So now we have the clear full story this month. Yeah, definitely. Um, So that Mercury retrograde, there were a bunch of things. Do you guys notice anything majorly notable in terms of either the Mercury retrograde itself or the Mercury-Uranus opposition? I felt like there was more that ended up playing out pretty well that there I noticed more like technical um glitches and technical technological snafus taking place at different points with the mercury retrograde opposing uranus last month or in in october this month um did you guys notice anything that stood out yeah in some ways um the configuration of uranus um, enhanced a lot of what we think of as Mercury retrogrades core qualities. Like, you know, uh, Mercury retrogrades are disruptive. They are a change mm. of pace or schedule. And so, whereas with a lot of, um, when we're, when you're analyzing Mercury configurations, um, and another planet is involved, a lot of times that will change the nature of what Mercury is doing, right? Is the, uh, is the is the postal person delivering bombs or cakes or bills? You know, it very much depends on what's being delivered. But the this configuration mm. to Uranus just seemed to amplify the standard Mercury uh, retro stuff. Like I had a, I had an extremely classic one. My phone um, simply stopped taking a charge the night that it's stationed. Nothing had happened. There were there was no violence to the phone. It just stopped working. And then the next day <laughs> I was I was, working. you know, I and the next day I was supposed to do some banking, but I couldn't do that because I needed to confirm by a text. And it was just the the standard spiraling out uh or the sequencing of or uh, cascade is the right word of like one little problem delays this other thing and because this is delayed, this third thing is delayed. Like very classic. Yeah, totally. Uh, did you notice anything, Kelly? Interesting. I was just checking back in my calendar, and I had because it was the the second Mercury opposite Uranus um, aspect when Mercury was retrograde was just after the Sun had been in its its dark tunnel of uh, dealing with Mars and Saturn, and I got so frustrated with not being able to find a Pilates instructor that speaks English that I could work with online that I just madly went googling on the internet, and I just stroke of luck found somebody who's in the euro central euro time zone which i didn't expect to happen and like their website's got really great english i wonder if they're a native english speaker or they've got you know really strong english as a second language school because i'm a native english speaker and i needed someone i could communicate with 
And it turns out this person's actually Australian who's also living in Europe for a period of time. So I actually had a positive. I'd had a, a more difficult experience trying to find someone online a month or two before and just it wasn't a good fit and I'd lost, you know, lost motivation. And so it was one of those weird things where I got so frustrated by something that was bothering me that I just did it and, and you know, second go round and was able to get a better result. So slightly more positive outcome there um, than your phone, Austin. Nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got a new phone, so that's exciting. And that's actually- Well, that can be good. So the, the po- there's, there's the positive technology side of Uranus, the like upgrade and upgrade is disruptive. Yes. Um, but for me, like I had to go into town to go to the store and I've been meaning to go look at, there's a, uh, like a computer store in town. I've been, I've had the same tower, um, desktop that I, for five years. And that was a hand-me-down from a friend. I've been meaning, um, to get something nicer. And so the going, going into town to get the phone fixed, um, hooked me back into, the other thing that I was going to do, so you know, at the end of this, I will probably have a much nicer machine. Um, and there's um, that there there's that upgrade thing is again part of a lot of Mercury retrogrades, but then uh, juiced um, further by Uranus. There was a you had an example, another example of this, Chris. Uh, wasn't um, is it was it the there was uh, was it the Astro theme website? No, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was one of the more positive ones I thought because you you had a, you had a funny like yeah. negative one of somebody who had like an unexpected Scorpio type uh, Mercury retrograde story. Oh well, yeah. Involving... That, I would not consider that an upgrade. No, but it's funny. It's a downgrade. It, mine, mine is a funnier follow up, a better follow up because it's like a positive version of like a Scorpio Mercury retrograde story. You want to do yours first. Oh, the um, well. I mean, I thought one of the sort of all-time best Mercury, uh, Mercury, Uranus, Scorpio, et cetera, et cetera, was the uh, was the the situation with I believe his name is Jeffrey Tubin. He's a journalist and author. You know, very respected person who apparently um, accidentally exposed himself, um, and I don't mean his arms uh, during a like a company meeting because he didn't realize the Zoom camera was on. Um, and you know, this is a technical, you know, technology mishap, Mercury. Uh, we could say this was very strong miscommunication uh, of the visual kind. Um, and when we do the classic melothesiac diagram where signs map onto body regions, um, Scorpio rules the groinal expanse, right? And that was exactly the area that was exposed. And I was like, that's that's kind of one for the books. And yes. also, this was a writer yeah. that this happened to a journalist. If we're talking about what professions person. Uh, are ruled yeah. are ruled by Mercury, right? I believe this was abbreviated um, on Twitter as hashtag ZoomDick. Not incorrect. Yes, yes. Z- yes ZDI. Was, I think that was something it, I needed to understand when I saw that trending on Twitter, and I was not sure I wanted to know what why it was trending that day. So right. that. That was more of an unfortunate Mercury Uranus, uh, Mercury retrograde and Scorpio thing. But on the flip side of that, one of the more positive ones is uh, uh, Peter from the website AstroSeek decided to go in and Astro something AstroSeek, yeah, Astro.seek.com. It's one of the up and coming but really great uh, birth chart generating services. Um, he's been meaning to for a while add 
uh, knew non-binary and finally did during the course of this Mercury retrograde and again in Scorpio integrate integrate non-binary gender options as well as um, new sort of pick your own pronoun options where you can add your own pronouns of they or them or what a, what have you basically whatever you want and I thought that was a really interesting thing because a lot of people have been asking other websites like astro.com to add that for years um, people that identify as non-binary. Uh, but astro.com has been really reticent to do so. So it's interesting seeing these other up-and-coming astrology websites like fill that gap and the fact that it just happened to occur in a Mercury retrograde in Scorpio is an interesting like revision type symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was a good one. Oh, there was also one. the um yeah, it's it's nice to have options, right? Yeah, um, I mean there's no reason not to provide different options or give people different options if if they want to. I mean, I don't see why anybody would have a problem with that necessarily. Yeah. Well, the world. Um, there was also um in a very Mercury and Scorpio related um but different note. Apparently the uh and I wish I had the the story in front of me, but apparently a branch of the Canadian military did a test run of a psyop um, where they a bunch of people in an area were sent like warning um, warning messages about like all these crazy wolves that were in the forest, and then they had speakers playing wolf sounds in the forest, um, and then that got called out. And you know there was a like, hey, you're not supposed to do psyops on your own citizens. <laughs> Mm. It's worth uh, looking into, like if we're and here we're talking about the emotional quality of uh, of Mercury and Scorpio, and to a certain degree of Mercury in any um, uh, Mercury in any in the sign of a malefic, but especially with Scorpio, um, we're looking at dealing with fear, right? Scorpio emotionally, there's a lot of like trust, fear, fear management, et cetera, et cetera, and so they were literally trying to. It was a it was an operation designed to create fear. Um, and like, oh, there's, you know, there's something out in the dark that wants to get you. Can't you hear it? Mm. Mm. So I thought that was, that was also, um, and it was an experiment, right? You've got that Uranus like test run thing. Um, and then it was also an oops, um, the Mercury retrograded, you know, it was, you know, if, if, <laughs> if you are going to run psyops and your citizens don't get caught, um, I think yes. that's probably, um, you know, I, I would prefer not, but, um, you know, that's a, that's a big fuck up. That's a big oops. That's a classic Mercury retrograde oops that happened in October. Yeah. And then of course there was a bunch of other October sur surprises politically, um, coinciding with the Mercury retrograde, which was already in like, uh, early degrees of Scorpio applying to Uranus by the beginning of the month. And we had, um, first, uh, Trump announcing that he had been diagnosed with with COVID after the first debate, which threw things into disarray about what was going to happen if he was going to be able to start keep campaigning, if the other debates would take place, and so on and so forth. Um, then uh, the second, the vice presidential debate took place, and that was the one that was scheduled the closest to I think one of the Mercury Uranus oppositions. And the only surprising, sort of annoying thing that came out of that was the fly incident, where this fly like sat on Mike Pence's head for like two minutes and became, for some reason, one of the largest talking points of the debate, or one of the more interesting or shocking things of the debate. But um, 
most people didn't notice that immediately after that debate, the debate commission announced that they were going to move the second presidential debate to Zoom. And as a result of that, um, Trump's campaign pulled out. And so the second presidential debate didn't take place and was unexpectedly canceled and disrupted very close to that Mercury Uranus opposition. So that ended up being one of the like surprising type disruptive things that happened during the Mercury retrograde in Scorpio opposite Uranus was the canceling for one of the first times ever of one of the presidential debates right in the middle of the month. Yeah, uh, and I, I I think it's important not to undersell in retrospect the amount of uncertainty uh, that Trump contracting COVID brought to a number of stories. Like in retrospect, now we're like, oh well, and it was you know things are proceeding along a similar course as to before. But like he's what he's a seventy four year old man. Um, you know that's 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 danger zone, right? Like and. Like it threw it, it put a bunch of giant question marks on what might happen at the beginning of the month, right? Mm-hmm. It it proved the um, the value of <laughs> going with October's surprise uh, for the previous month's uh, uh, thing. And so, like, yes, we know that we know how that story ends now, but we didn't know how that story ended at the beginning of the month, and that story could have gone lots of other ways. So that was a big, you know, chaos factor. Yeah, well, and it coincided right with that story that all broke right at the beginning of the month, right on that full moon in Aries that was really heightening the the Mars retrograde and all the cardinal stuff going on. Um, so it was right on one of the most uh, sort of tense and pivotal uh, times that happened right at the very beginning of the month. So yeah, and so let's we- so let's let's pull it to how this all lands in creates November. Or unless you've got more stuff you want to you want to go back over, um, I'm ready to move on to November. I just wasn't sure if we should mention there was like one f- interesting anecdotal thing just about you know Trump's chart and what was happening with that and why mm. that happened mm-hmm. in his chart. Um, should we mention that now really quickly since it's relevant? No, oh, sure. Yeah, it's a nice little astro anecdote, astrend anecdote. Astro. I feel like those words could be combined. Astro. Yeah, I was just thinking, how do you mash them together? How do we do a word? They feel like they astrodote. Yes, astrodote. Thank you, K. D. Dayton. Lovely. So, um, let me show for those watching the video version uh, Donald Trump's birth chart with transits. So I'll go ahead and share that right here. And then back it up a month. So last month, of course, the what was the day of the the first debate? Was it like the 29th? It was September September 29th. Was the Mars Saturn Square and the Mars Station? Yeah, the 29th. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was a lovely Mars Saturn Square. And as everybody who I don't know if you guys watched the first debate, it was a very tense, extremely unpleasant sort of debate between uh, those two characters. Did you guys watch it? I saw a summary I, I did. clip, I, but not the whole I, thing. I, I, I hate watched it. Okay. I, yeah, like, I, think- I wasn't like, oh, I, you know, I hope this is good. I, I had um, negative expectations. I think I put it on and played video games with the sound off and um, tried to drink myself to peace um, while it happened. 
That's smart. That sounds that sounds pretty good. So um, yeah, it was just a really tense debate. Trump was in full like Mars fashion with Mars conjunct the ascendant and Leo in the day chart, and he kept interrupting Biden, and it sort of threw off the entire debate structure of like a, a back and forth exchange because then they just started having to interrupt each other and insult each other and stuff like that. Um, so what was interesting though is we focused a lot in our forecasts. Uh, talking about the end of September, about not just the Mars-Saturn square that was completing around that time, but also that Saturn was stationing direct in Capricorn. Uh, so if you look at Trump's chart, Saturn stationing direct at 25 degree of Capricorn, using the Leo rising chart is Trump's sixth whole sign house. And it was stationing in opposition to his natal Venus at 25 degrees of Cancer, as well as his natal Saturn at 23 Cancer. So Trump is, interestingly, as we've mentioned a few times, in a third house perfection year, which is activating you know, his Neptune and his Jupiter in Libra in the third house natally, but it's also activating Venus as the ruler of the year, which is the ruler of not just his third house of siblings and communication, but also his 10th house of career. And since it's the perfection from the ascendant, it's representing also health and vitality for him to some extent this year as well. So that Saturn station in his sixth house of illness took on extra importance because it was stationing in opposition to the Lord of the Year, and he must have contracted COVID sometime at the end of September around the time of that station. So yeah, it was it's, really it's really ahead. classic, right? Yeah. Like it's mm. it's a malefic visiting the sixth, which is the house of illness, um, hits the 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 ruler of the year Venus also. Um, tightly opposes sat the natal Saturn, which is the natal ruler of the six. It's just you know all this sixth house stuff. You get sick, um, yeah. Uh, and, and then although you see Mars, it, it, I I am um, as I've been complaining to both of you privately, the ruler of my sixth is activated <laughs> this year, and just getting I believe the uh, the the shit kicked out of it is the right the term? technical term. Um, <laughs> mm. Yeah, for the last uh, two months, and I have. Like I, I haven't had any acute incidents, but my general level of health has just been garbage. I was yeah. telling you, my ear randomly began bleeding. I usually have great health. You, you know, y'all yeah. know me. Um, I usually have a lot of hit points, um, <laughs> but uh, like it's been, it's been brutal. And that's just you know, when you're looking at health um, in your chart, uh, when the ruler of the six gets. Um, a lot when when the the ruler of the six gets lots of malefic attention. Um, those are periods where you need to go the extra mile to take care of yourself. Because again, I haven't had an acute thing, but I've just been I've had how should we say systemic weakness, right? And it's come from different areas, like oh, the smoke inhalation during September wasn't good, um, and then that like irritated my eustachian tube, which started bleeding into my ear. So I could only hear about 50% out of my left ear for two weeks. Um, and then my my stomach was really tender for the last three weeks or whatever. And these are just like, it's just like um, under, under pressure, right? And it stands out for me because I have good health signifiers. So this is way out of the normal. It's been really easy to see. Yeah. And your Time Lord this year is one of the slower moving planets. So it's sort of consistently in that state all year. Whereas if you're going into a sixth house year and your Time Lord is a quicker moving planet, you might see a little bit of fluctuation as that planet goes into and out of signs that it might, you know, enjoy or dislike. Yeah, well, it's um, it's not going anywhere. 
Um, <laughs> no, yours yours isn't. <laughs> yeah, yours it, but isn't. it's it's the the natal ruler of the six, so sixth house perfection. So activating the potential for and the theme of grappling with the infirmity of the flesh, right? Yeah. Um, and then the the ruler of that in my natal chart has been getting all the attention from Mars and Saturn and Pluto. So it's just been a lot. There's a lot more on the health plate than there usually is. Um, and a lot of times it's like the, you know, you may not, uh, like I wasn't able to foresee exactly what issues I would contend with, but I knew the health significations of this basically two months ahead of time. Um, I at least was mm. not surprised. Yes. I didn't, I didn't uh, necessarily think it would start with smoke from forest fires, but that, you know, it got there. Yeah, uh, lis listener in the audience because we were recording this in front of a live audience. Leslie Koff uh, interjects, yes. though. However, in your sixth house perfection here, but Austin, you also got a kitty cat, so there's a very important oh, mitigating yeah. factor as well for your sixth house perfection. Well, your sixth house <laughs> yeah, lord is a benefic. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's yeah. in you know, natally, it's in good shape. It's Great. just the um, yeah. 20, 2020 um, has not been kind uh, to no. my chart, nor. The chart, you know, the theme of Mundi itself. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back to we got a little long, off topic there, Chris. Long, Did you want to say long more? Long digression. <laughs> yeah. Back to Trump's chart. The other thing that was really interesting when the news broke that he was sick with COVID, he actually announced it. I think first through Twitter, and everybody else was focused on. So it wasn't just you know Saturn stationing in opposition to Venus, the Lord of the Year, but also Mars. When he got sick, was also at because of the Mars Saturn square was squaring Venus at the same time, and Mars is the malefic that's contrary to the sect for him, so it's more problematic when it hits important planets by transit. So he was getting nailed with that natal Venus both by Mars and Saturn. But what was interesting is when it was actually announced on Twitter, um, I glanced at it and I, I realized nobody had noted this, but Venus was right at 29 degrees of Leo that day. When that announcement went out, so it was right on the mm. supposed degree of his ascendant at 29 degrees of Leo, and Venus was activated as again the Time Lord for the year. So that was kind of interesting because um, there was this basically, you know, he's very focused on Twitter and he has been for several years now, and that's like his main social media platform for better or worse. But that tweet that where he announced that he was sick got more likes on it than any tweet that he's ever put out. It got something like two million likes, which was huge, much higher than anything else. So huge amount of attention, and also from supporters and even from his Democratic challengers like Biden and stuff, issuing statements of sympathy and everything else. And I thought that was a really interesting manifestation of having something really bad happen, but then having something at least. For the native that was subjectively positive at the same time. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting um, note, right? Because the event is the sickness, the announcement is the Mercury Uranus opposition, right? And then the response is the Venus transiting the ascendant. Right. You can see each um, of them, mm. each of them is is playing a role. Obviously, the sickness itself is the root. Um, but then we have what it does to the, you know, the story and then how people respond to that event publicly. Yeah. So and also potentially that he started receiving unique, highly advanced um treatments like right away, which evidently 
you know, did a good job because he was able to go back to campaigning not long after that. It's also worth mentioning because after the 2016 election, one of the points of reflection that I had was, you know, were we using the correct chart? And there were two alternative risings, which were with that minute that he was born in, the ascendant switches over like 30 seconds into the minute into Virgo. So there was a legitimate question of does he have 29 Leo rising or does he have zero Virgo rising? And I think instances like this really drive home the point that the 29 Leo rising is probably correct. Um, the alternative also was 17 Leo rising, but again, with Venus hitting the ascendant right on that day with probably the most popular or at least visible tweet that he's ever done, there was something about that that's really striking and convincing to me. Yeah, it's a nice, um, how should we say, it's, it's a, it strengthens the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, there may still be. I think Austin, you referred to the the Virgo truthers. There may still be some debates out yeah. there that continue that are ongoing, which is fine. But it's you know one point. Let's just say one point in favor of the Leo rising of the and, late Leo rising. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, um, does that set up the context <laughs> enough? Can we move into November? Is there anything else that leading into this um, that we haven't mentioned for the setup for? Obviously, you know the very beginning of the month and Mercury stationing direct and one of the most important dates of of the year. That, well, so that, no, I think I think it's Mercury time, right? Yeah, I'm so like I think just, it needs some attention. <laughs> yeah, so Mercury is pulled back into Libra um, and is preparing to station direct as the as November begins um, and. While the most of the retrograde and the lead up to the retrograde saw Mercury configured to Uranus, right, which is chaos, surprises, et cetera, et cetera, um, Mercury is stationing direct in a very tight square configured to Saturn, right? And Saturn is um, Saturn has a, has a very uh, different attitude um, than Uranus does in terms of order versus chaos. Yeah, definitely. So we can see this ingress or, or regress. Does anybody ever like say that? Have we started officially calling it a regress when a planet like makes a retrograde ingress into a sign? So that happened on. I, yeah, I, I've used that for years. I imagine a bunch of people have. When you have to describe, you know, when you do that sort of daily or monthly writing, right? Yes. All right. That's and its own on word. the twenty, blah blah blah. Yeah, and you also get tired of using the other words. Retrogrades back into is not very elegant. It's not eloquent, and it th if you've got a tight word count, it, you know you use up a lot of words to say that. Yeah, yeah, got to switch it up. So Mercury regressed, regressed uh, into Libra around the twenty seventh, at which point of October, at which point it starts moving back into that square with Saturn, and by the time we start the month on November first, it is. Pretty much at that degree range that it's going to station at, closely square to Saturn, which is transiting at 26 degrees of Capricorn, while Mercury slows down and stations uh, direct at late 25 degrees of Libra. So, Kelly, you had some really nice thoughts about this when we were talking the other day. Um, yeah, the Mercury Saturn, it, it is a very different vibe from Mercury Uranus. And the thing that it made me think of, you know, I think Mercury Saturn, I think sort of official paperwork, important documents. And because Mercury's doing this very unusual thing where it's squaring Saturn twice, it's got an exact square to Saturn on November 1st. 
and then another exact square to Saturn on November 6th. That's Eastern time zone. At the same degrees, 26 Libra to 26 Capricorn. And it made me think of when I was filling out my permanent residency papers for Canada, where I had to submit all this documentation to prove that my relationship with my partner, who's now my husband, was real, a genuine relationship. So we had to get all these sort of documents And then we had to fill out the form and it was fill it out in black pen, not blue and use block letters and don't go outside the lines and make sure you answer every question. There was this real sense of there's a structure or a procedure. We had to follow the rules. It wasn't a process that we could get creative in. We had to go through the process. And it feels, because I also tried to think about this first week of November, I know the election is a huge topic that, you know, we're all kind of wanting answers for, but I also know that all of us have got our everyday lives going on within that week. And Mercury Square Saturn with the station in the middle feels a lot like that sort of rote or... um it's not necessarily routine, but the repetition of having to deal with data or forms or documents and not quite getting it right at the start of the week when Mercury's retrograde square Saturn and having to come back to something at the end of the week to, you know, dot the final I's or cross the T's. So it feels very, um, it has a little bit of a heavy feeling of like that worry have I or concern. Have I done it right? Will it be okay? So a lot of heavy thinking and worry about yeah, getting the procedures right, I think. Yeah, it's so. What were you guys thinking of this? Yeah, Yeah, very slow, sort of very sluggish. In in sort of walking down the mental road that you pointed out, you know the um, yeah the the theme of just slow, like Saturn is slow um, and rules slowing down, delaying, right? Things taking longer, and this is um, when Mercury stations direct. Yes, it's changing directions, but it's also slow. Mercury is barely moving. Right. And so this will look like slowdowns in a lot of areas. And it might be slow down because, you know, there's there's a block in the road and you got to take a different route. Um, sort of the best case version of this is like, let's slow down and do it right this time. Yes. Right? Um, but there's also just like, well, we did it right, but this thing happened and it's going to take forever. Um, but just like slow, 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 slow. And I really liked what you said about um, uh, filling out the paperwork, like doing it in triplicate. The um, the idea that you have to work through a system, whatever the Saturn system labyrinth is. Um, yeah. Mercury has to like slow down and work very carefully through, you know, what might be a bureaucratic maze. I actually have a nice little diagram that Kyle, again, from Archetypal Explorer, made uh, for us this month, which actually shows Mercury slowing down in October for the retrograde period and then moving backwards, which is illustrated in red here, and then eventually stationing direct um, on November 3rd. But it's just interesting in terms of those notions of like speed and directionality, but why the stations are so important in terms of being um, periods where it stops that movement forward and backwards and is just sort of like sitting in the same place uh, for a time before it eventually slowly starts regaining speed. And we've got, and so there are the, you know, there are the two exact hits um, between Mercury and Saturn, which we get during the first week, but that Mercury Saturn quality yeah. um, is going is going to continue until Mercury um, returns to Scorpio. To Scorpio. Which isn't which is 
brings us to a really interesting little slice of November, right? Um, so what is it? Is it the it's the tenth? The tenth in the American yeah. time zones. Yeah. So Mercury finally gets back into Scorpio and then starts applying to an opposition with Uranus again. So we with you know as far as the Mercury story, we have this like super slow. Um, bureaucratic, um, dealing with obstacles, systematic sort of uh, slowdown. Um, but then we go back to the crazy disruptive, you know, surprise, like what's in the box with uh, Mercury Uranus in, um, on the 10th. And that's, that's, that's going to take us through the middle of the month. And we also have something uh, else that's very important just a few days after the 10th. Did either of you note that the Mars's direct station is on Friday the 13th? <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, definitely. And, yeah. and the moon will be conjunct that Mercury and opposite Uranus on the day of uh, Mars's direct station. The Mars station. And remember, of course, in Scorpio, Mercury is ruled by Mars. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's this... Um, <clears throat> digging or like penetrative quality that we talked about about Mercury and Scorpio last month. And I was trying to pay attention to because I knew in mid-November Mercury would come back to zero degrees of Scorpio. So I was trying to pay attention to what happened when it first ingressed. And the main like major news story that I noticed that day, the first day that Mercury went into Scorpio back in like October, um mm. Or actually, it was it was at the very end of September. It was on September 27th. Was the New York Times dropped that major investigative piece about Trump's um, tax returns? Taxes. Where was, somehow they found yeah. out his past taxes from the past decade or something, and found out that he'd only paid $750 one year in taxes. Um, that report came out like literally as soon as Mercury ingressed into Scorpio around September 27th. So I sort of associated with that. If he has Leo rising, then that's his fourth house. And while we often focus on the fourth house as like the home and living situation, it's also the the most invisible or the least visible part of the chart at the very bottom of the chart. So in ancient astrology, it was also so associated with like hidden things and secrets and like buried treasure mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So it'll That's be interesting, interesting if that becomes relevant again in some way, either perhaps not through the taxes thing, but something about hidden things or secrets that somehow becomes relevant again when Mercury re-ingresses and hits that degree at zero degrees of Scorpio again. Yeah, because we have this, you know, this very different Mercury-Saturn quality um, yes. for a couple, you know, for a couple weeks. But then we're back to basically the October Mercury, and the October right. Mercury is in Scorpio and opposite Uranus. Um, and so my guess is they're going to be plot lines from October that come back around again in in this uh, in the, especially mid November, right? Because it's not just Mercury's back in the same place, but it's Mars is stationing direct, and Mars is you know Mercury is in a, in a Mars world sign to some degree. Mercury is delivering Mars's things, right? We can say delivering information attack, right? Delivering attack mm -hmm. by by speech. Um, or by data or, you know, mercury things, right? And so we should talk, uh, one thing I wanted to say about the the Mars, um, are, are you ready to shift to Mars? I've got to, I've got a bunch of well, good, not yet, because good when you, Mars you, stuff. You, you said a really good Mars thing, but it has to, it gets set up, and I remember in our pre-show chat, it gets set up first by the election and what happens on election day. And maybe we should stop and address that first and the different scenarios of possibilities 
because then that's relevant to talking about what's happening later in the month when Mars stations direct. Does that sound okay? Sure. All right. So um, obviously, one of the biggest things that happens um, this month that we already know and to look forward to, and we've already talked about Mercury stationing direct on November 3rd, and November 3rd this year, of course, happens to coincide with the US presidential election, which um, that's the day everybody votes or has to have their votes in. And normally, under traditional circumstances, under in most normal years, that's also later that night typically is when we would find out the outcome of the election and who will be president for the next four years and whether Trump will get a second four-year term in office or whether Biden will become president during the inauguration on January 20th, a few months later. So, um, However, because Mercury is stationing direct this year on election day, all the astrologers already for a long time now have been thinking back to the last time that that happened, which because Mercury moves in 20-year cycles, the 20-year synodic cycle of Mercury is 20 years. That's why Mercury in zodiac releasing, for example, is assigned a 20-year period to Gemini and a 20-year period to Virgo. It's because of that Mercury synodic cycle because it recurs perfectly every 20 years. So if you take this back 20 years, you get to uh, November of 2000, which is the 2000 presidential election when things were not finished on election day, but instead the vote was so even between the two candidates that it led to a bunch of legal battles and everything was up in the air for about six weeks until it was finally decided in mid-December by the Supreme Court. So interestingly, just practically speaking, going into this election, because of the higher number of people voting by mail due to what's happening with COVID and due to all sorts of other stuff going on this year, a lot of people just practically speaking are, are trying to warn a lot of reporters and poll watchers are trying to warn people that the election may not be decided um, on election night this year. So as astrologers, it's kind of interesting because astrologically, we already have a potential indication for that. And then practically speaking, a bunch of people are anticipating it as well. So we've got a few different scenarios about what might happen on November 3rd. Well, and just to take the just to to jump back to what Mercury is doing at, at that time, it's stationing direct exactly square Saturn, almost exactly yeah. square Saturn. And right. like that all that like slow down, like slow down working through systems, do it over again, you know, like like maybe recounting. Yeah, count and recount um, like, and then double check account. Yeah. Right. Like like this stuff matters on an individual level, right? It, it like it, it Mercury and Saturn aren't only commenting on what the Americans are doing, um, but it also comments on, you know, what the American political system's doing. And so if we're looking for planets that look like a delayed result, that's a lot of, you know, delay language from the sky. Yeah. Yes. So, so we have a question then, just astrologically, about two things. But basically, a, do we see any indica indications or evidence of potential delays? And it seems like there are a couple of potential indications. I mean, it's it's always been a little weird that um, Mercury stationed direct in November of two thousand instead of like stationing retrograde. Like typically, you expect. Um, uh, the first retrograde station when Mercury is starting its retrograde period usually coincides with major delays, and then sometimes things get resolved at the end of that three weeks and start moving forward again. 
So there's a little bit of a question there of if the, is this indicating major delays or is this indicate moving forward in resolution of some sort? Um, so I've been thinking about that because that again that would be that that would that would be the the sort of first go to with astrology like well right. it's the direct station like we're moving towards clarity right I think this may be because um, uh, you know we have a very strong precedent for this I think this literally may be more a result of motion right um, Mercury's taking forever Slower. to go anywhere it's the slowest Mercury gets mm -hmm. and if Mercury is the counter right is the one who you know who counts things up. Um, then we're talking about literally like taking forever to get the counting done. And so I think maybe it's more the speed and less the direction. Right. The slowness and the idea of, of delays and that being compounded by the square with Saturn. That makes sense. Yeah. Go ahead, Kelly. Oh, yeah. I think the compounding square, I like the um, point you made, Austin, around the delay because you know, in the context of an election, it's not just counting, but it's also votes coming in by mail that need to make sure they get there and how long will that take? And so right. the idea, you know, right. it's these are all Mercury things. Did you did you fill your ballot out correctly? How long is the mail going to take? Did it go in the right um, voting box? And then you know, cues to vote and things like that. So it just it feels very slow. You know, and Mercury's a planet that really doesn't like being slow. He works best when he has some speed or some pace under him. And then when he starts, when he finally sort of steps off his station degree, he's got to interact with Saturn. So then he's got to, you know, prove everything. So I really think that that whole first week of November is just sort of that hanging around, you know, waiting on something to come through kind of vibe. Yeah. Right. So and so when, one of when our we when we go ahead. One of our questions is just um, if then, let's say hypothetically, it is a, there is a delay and the result is not known on election night for some reason. One of the questions that we started getting into, but we might want to get into more this month, is what are our potential dates for a final resolution then, if we can see that at all, or what are some potential turning point dates to look at over the course of the next month or two when things might be resolved? If we have a instance of this 20 years ago where it took like it wasn't resolved until I think December 12th when Bush versus Gore was decided by the Supreme Court and they stopped all the recounts and that basically effectively gave the election to Bush. Um, what are we looking at? What are the important astrological turning points that could be the important dates um, if there was a major delay in the results in this election? So uh, to me, yeah. To you, you, you go, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. So, for me, when I was looking at this, um, initially I was looking closely, and I didn't want to discount some of the November dates because there are some crucial ones. There's, mm -hmm. you know, Mars stationing direct on the 13th as presumably a relatively important turning point. Um, there is Mars. Or Mercury leaving its shadow period. Do you guys do you know the date on that, Kelly? Um, putting me on the spot here. It's somewhere around the nineteenth or the twentieth, I think. Uh, it's after the Mercury Uranus opposition. Yeah, um, I have it written down somewhere uh, somewhere in here that I, I wanted to. Sorry, mention. I know I usually have that, don't I? I'll look it up while you keep talking. Okay, so look it up. The other one. Uh, at the end of the month is the lunar eclipse in Gemini, which is pretty notable once we get into eclipse season on the 30th of November. 
But the more I looked at this, the more I kept coming back to what you did, Austin, for some reason, was that eclipse, this major, major eclipse that takes place in Sagittarius on December 14th. Um, but the issue with that is I don't know if that's because that's that things don't get result resolved until then, in the same way that in the 2000 election, it wasn't until like December 12th that the Supreme Court resolved everything, or I don't know if alternatively the eclipse and everything keeps coming back to that because that is when the electors vote is supposed to be on December 14th, mm-hmm. and that's when the final results mm-hmm. of the election are always sort of formalized or finalized in some sense anyways on December 14th, and if that's not just a side effect from that taking place on that day. Yeah, I think that these these different um uh these different configurations, Mercury uh Mercury finishing the retreading the same uh degrees of the retrograde for the third and final time, Mars stationing direct, um, and then the the lunar eclipse at the end of the month. And worth noting, the uh, I believe we discussed this in the yearly, the 2020 yearly, that lunar eclipse is particularly interesting in regard to a political contest like this, yes. because both the sun and the moon will be conjoined uh, royal stars, Aldebaran and Antares, both of which are um, uh, b- both of which are associated very strongly with people in very powerful positions uh, with with huge amount of influence. And so it's very interesting. That was interesting to look at last year and be like, oh, oh, oh good. There'll be an, a, there'll be an eclipse uh, uh, straddling two royal stars right after the election. I'm sure things will work out wonderfully. One thing I want to one thing I I want to bring in me sort of um uh uh, uh, as an advocate for Uranus here, um, so th- there are, because Uranus gives you know gives surprises and disruptions, right? And we can know kind of when the box opens, but not necessarily what's in it. And because part of this story um, uh, has to do with the Uranus uh, oppositions and conjunctions, I feel like there is probably in addition to the known difficulties that we will be the that we'll be facing in in figuring out uh, a president there's going to be at least one curveball that we don't see from here mm. yeah right I mean, like something there's something that's going to come sideways in addition to the expected difficulties yeah i mean we still haven't been through like the full moon conjunct uranus there's further Mercury Uranus oppositions. There's lots of other curveballs sort of set up for us between now and then. Yeah. In some ways, I think the Saturn part, um, uh, Saturn doesn't give surprises, right? And so this no. Mercury uh, stationing square Saturn on election day, we're like, yep, these are all the Saturn reasons. These are the systems reasons why this will probably take longer. But then there's whatever the Uranian input is going to be. And we don't have to know that, but to we don't have to know what it is to know that it's scheduled. Yes. Yeah, I think on that point, Austin, you know, the Mars station on the 13th and then the Mercury Uranus opposition on the 17th, they both mm-hmm. feel like dates where there's a little bit of that box opening kind of vibe. And yeah. you know, it, 
it, it is very hard to say exactly what they'll be, but it's like, let's wait to see what those dates bring. I don't think those dates will necessarily bring the answer to who wins the election, but An a- important development though. Yes. Yeah. It's like, this is a significant piece to that story. And that's the timeline that we want to keep an eye out for it. Um, the I also had my eye on that lunar eclipse. In addition to the points that you both made, is also that the ruler of that eclipse, Mercury, forms a sextile to Saturn on the same day, and Mercury Saturn does feel just that. Just felt a little bit like here's some important information, or here's maybe not the whole answer, but part of the answer, or an important piece to that puzzle as well. So I think. There are, you know, a number of reasons why that eclipse on the 30th is um, definitely a date to watch. That's interesting. So Mercury's squaring Saturn during the election. Yes, yes, exactly. It's making one aspect to Saturn the first week of November and then a, you know, quote unquote, easier aspect uh, to Saturn at the end of the month. Yeah. And usually lunar eclipses are associated with like a culmination of events or completion in some sense, things coming to maturity that started earlier. Um, so also with, of course, with the solar eclipse, though, so there's the lunar eclipse at the end of November, and then there's the solar eclipse on the 14th. Um, the other reasons that that is notable is one, in the United States Sibley chart, it has Sagittarius rising. So we've been going back and forth all year, and I used to be, as we said in the last episode, much more skeptical about the Sibley chart, but I've been talked around. Uh, Austin, I know you're already a huge fan of the Sibley chart. I think it's really useful. Okay. So if that was hypothetically the chart, then the chart of the United States would have Sagittarius rising. So having an eclipse in Sagittarius um, you know, at that time, December 14th, would presumably mark something important happen- happening at that time. Um, additionally, it's also important when Lisa Scheim and I did a little private thing for patrons a few weeks ago looking at the charts of the candidates and looking at the election in general and just sort of doing a work session, sort of workshopping it. The other thing that that came up, of course, is just that Biden also has Sagittarius rising, so that eclipse is going to take place in his first whole sign house pretty much no matter what. So there were different indications that we found for different candidates, like some of them were more in favor of Biden and Harris, and some of the indications seem to lean more in favor of Trump and Pence. But the eclipse one to me was definitely one that was favoring Biden a bit more, just because in the past several elections, the candidate, the primary presidential candidate that had eclipse fall, eclipses falling in their first house or their 10th house tended to be the one that was winning at that time uh, for, for different reasons, first with Obama in 2008 and then 2012. And then with Trump, when the Great American Eclipse started taking place in his rising sign in Leo uh, within a few months of his inauguration. Yeah. And so I want to add an additional piece to this. And this is something um, that uh, Freedom Cole, who's my teacher for Vedic astrology, pointed out to me. If we run the um, Vimshodari Dasha, on the Sibley chart, the United States entered an 18-year Rahu period in 2016. Uh, uh, Rahu being wow. the uh, the North Node of the Moon, the eclipse point. Um, and so, if we were treating the United States sort of like a person, it's not a person, but it's you know some of these rules still apply. We would just in the your Time Lord was the you know the dragon's head. Then you would just assume that eclipses. 
um, would be would be even more important than usual for moving things around. I was going to say forward. I'm not sure that's the direction we're going, um, but moving them. <laughs> moving things, stirring things yes. up at the very least. Right. And the, yeah, the, uh, the charts of the candidates are just all lit up like crazy by this, these Sag Gemini eclipses. Yeah. And, Cause you know, of course, it, uh, Trump, Trump was born on a Sag Gemini eclipse as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lunar and, and, and Sag. Uh, yeah. And he's a uh, sun, sun Rahu, sun, uh, close, um, yes, when close you said sun that, Rahu I was conjunction. Like, so the U S goes into a Rahu period and elects a president who has Lord of the Ascendant conjunct Rahu in, in yeah. his natal chart, right? Like that's a pretty right? Rahu person. And to be fair, freedom called the, uh, the result of the election in 2016 correctly. Um, not because it is what he desired, but he was looking at all this Rahu stuff. He's like, all right, I guess we're going to, we're going, you know, it's, we're going to have Lord Rahu for a few years. And that was partially based on looking at the upcoming eclipse that would take place the following summer and how it hit Trump's chart. Yeah. He, um, it was really, there's a recording of him giving this talk in like 2015, somewhere on the internet, but he was just like looking at the the big eclipse that was the big solar eclipse that just literally uh, visually split the country down the middle, and then looking at the United States going into a Rahu period and looking at this Rahu guy and being like, "Well, that's I'm 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 summarizing freedoms <laughs> process. I'm sure it wasn't just like, eh, yeah. look at that, but like those were two of the major components." Got it. We, okay. Which is interesting because out of you know, we don't have a time chart for Pence, but out of Biden versus Harris, Harris has quite a strong Rahu placement with Rahu on Harris's yeah. ascendant. Yeah, Rahu in the first. Yeah. So here's our chart with 24 Gemini rising and the North Node, also known as Rahu, at 24 degrees of Gemini. So that's interesting. Yeah. So Obviously, there's a lot going on here. It's like Lisa and I did a work session where we sat down for the first time because I wanted to put off looking at all of this and also felt one, so much changes between like if you're looking at the presidential election at the start of the primary season or even the middle of it versus closer to the end. So sometimes it's better just to like wait until you have all of the data that you're going to have to work with and then look at it. Um, but then also, it's hard, even as astrologers, I think we all come to a realization of eventually. Um, when you're super invested in like the outcome of something, it's hard to get distance from it. You know, even though we try, it's a little bit different than like sitting down and working with a client's chart, which is like somebody whose life you don't otherwise know until that day, typically. And then you can look at it somewhat dispassionately. But if you're talking about like an event in your own country or that you're sort of wrapped up in or have some investment in the outcome, it becomes a little bit more more tricky. I think. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm I. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel too close to this to look at everything and and come to a judgment in the way that I would be able to with similar data around things that I didn't. You know, I have to live inside the result. Um. <laughs> um. And uh, yes. you know, and we're already living inside the the period of history that brings us to this choice, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there there's there are mental health uh, issues. Uh, there's a mental health hazard, biohazard warning with thinking too much uh, about the present. Unfortunately, doesn't mean it shouldn't be done, um, but it's <laughs> it is taxing. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, but nonetheless, we can look at some of the different charts and point out some of the things that we've noticed that are interesting, some of the different dates that seem to be turning points or seem to be where things will sort of spin on a top and go one way or another. Um, why don't we start breaking down some of the further weeks? We've talked a lot about the first week. Are there other things about the first week of November that we need to touch on? Um, what were the two dates? Because it's been mentioned a few times. Is it the first and the sixth are the two dates for the exact yes. Mercury-Saturn square? Yes. Mm -hmm. it, it, really, the three big things in the first week are the two Mercury-Saturn squares and Mercury Station Direct. It's Mercury week. Okay. Yeah. And then... Back into Scorpio on the 10th. On the 10th, yes. And then exact uh, opposite, third and final, exact opposition to Uranus on the 17th. For Mercury. And okay. then fully done with the shadow on the 20th? Yeah. 19th, 20th. Yeah, I think Gray was um, yeah. saying that probably the 19th in the Pacific uh, US time zone. Um, Paula Bellomini actually made me a nice little ephemeris for the last episode I did with Jessica Lignato on Mercury retrograde, where she this shows the retrograde dates, um, which are you know roughly around the 14th, 13th, 14th of October through the 3rd of November, and then the shadow period extends all the way until about the 18th, 19th, once Mercury clears. What is it? Eleven degrees of Scorpio. Eleven, yeah. Okay. So, because it, until that point, it's still just like retreading degrees that it has already moved through, and as a result of that, sometimes it's still wrapping up and bringing to completion um, issues that it threw up in the air earlier. Mm. So, I definitely think that Mercury leaving its shadow date uh, is important around the nineteenth. Yeah. Yeah. So, can we Chris talk about Mars yet? Yeah, we need to we need to yeah, talk okay. about the Jupiter Pluto and the Mars well, station. Yeah, yeah, Jupiter Pluto for so so we talked a little bit about Jupiter Pluto, but just to return and wrap that up, that's taking place on the 12th of November, the third exact hit of that. Um are there any other we've talked about the COVID spikes and and the reason people started paying attention to that, I just wanted to not reiterate, but we we talked about that months ago in like the spring when we started noticing the second wave coinciding with it. But the reason that people started paying attention to that at one point earlier this year around the first wave was just because it turned out that back in the like 1918 flu when that broke out, um, parts of the first and especially the second wave, which was much more deadly, coincided with the Jupiter uh, Pluto conjunctions back then. So for some reason, it's it's tying it in here again, especially in the U.S. and to a lesser extent in other countries in in Europe and around the world with um, a new wave that's sort of hitting worldwide. But um, is there anything else that we need to touch on with respect to Jupiter Pluto? Right, bailout stuff. The bailout stuff we mentioned. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about yeah, that. Yeah, we already covered. The, yeah, the big big movements of money. Right, the bailout stuff. Is uh, in the United States is is a very visible part of it, but you know that Jupiter Pluto corresponds to you know vast hidden uh, reserves of wealth moving around. Yeah, yeah, movements upwards, but also downwards. I mean, one of the things we were talking about in the pre-show chat is how just completely divorced it seems like um, it's become being able to talk about what's happening with like the economy or worldwide economies right now versus what's happening, like for example, the U.S. with the stock market. And the stock market still continuing to do well, but then these reports coming out about 
millions of people having lost their jobs over the course of the year due to um, the due to what's happening with the virus and the ripple effects that's happening through the economy. I wonder if that's not, you know, Jupiter can be Jupiter Pluto could perhaps be major upward movement, but also major downward movement. I think it's really creating extremes that you know people that were in kind of like that sort of week to week just getting by, you know, if you were in slightly more stretched financial circumstances, it's sort of become more difficult. And if you were one of those extremely wealthy people at the start of this, you may have gotten even wealthier in this time frame. It's sort of um, exaggerated the extremes between, you know, the haves and the have nots, if you like. Uh, yeah, it, the, the, the K-shaped recovery is a nice yeah, abbreviation for that. We did talk about that in a previous episode, didn't we? Yeah. I think that's definitely part of it. And the other thing I'm wondering a little bit about Jupiter-Pluto is government control. I'm just thinking, and this is, I'm, I'm a little Eurocentric here because I'm thinking about when we had some of our more strict lockdowns. Uh, April for sure, when we had the first Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. And as we're coming into this second Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, there are um, more parts of Europe that are going into more uh, sort of rigid lockdowns at the moment as well. So I wonder a little bit about that sort of um, increase, uh, whether it's, you know, temporary, temporarily uh, of, of government control or restraint, and then, you know, potentially what might be going on uh, behind closed doors as well. I'm really glad you mentioned that because that just reminded me of the thing that I was really focused on and researching a lot for a few months there in the spring, which was the Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions and the proliferation of, you know, quote unquote, for lack of a better phrase, conspiracy theories. And I bet you, whatever, no matter what happens on November third in the U.S., there's going to be like either side or both sides are going to have an explosion of like major conspiracy theories and different. Theories and observations or speculations about what happened and about you know underhandedness or um, whether the election, for example, in the U.S. was valid or if there's this huge explosion of COVID that's taking place right now, and if we get a third wave or a second wave that peaks both in the U.S. as well as in Europe or around the world, and additional lockdowns and clampdowns, then one of the results of that is going to be a proliferation of like conspiracy theories about. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, or whether it's like a result of government overreach or manipulation or what have you. Yeah, there's. Um, I think that's that's a good point about the stories, um, because in many ways um, we're all kind of desperate to know what the real story is. What is the truth, right? And how it ends. Yes. Yeah, well, like what's good, you know, like like that, and that in a, in a sense, everybody wakes up at least every other day, looks out at twenty twenty. It's like, so what's going on? There's so many things going on, so many things that are intersecting, some things that are separate, some things that are connected, but in a way you can't see. Um, and you know, human beings need a frame uh, in order to be effective. Like, okay, this is the world. Mm -hmm. And then this is going to be how I'm going to approach the world, right? Mm -hmm. It's like playing a video game where the entire level and all of the enemies are invisible and you're just wandering around and taking damage. And I guess I can move here, but then I can't move here. It's like not being able to see the map. And so there's, a, I think, um, a very reasonable desperation 
um, to find a story that maps onto events that allows you to say, okay, here's the terrain. Here's how, oh, it's muddy out, right? I'm going to put on knobby tires, right? Oh, it's yes. not muddy. That's actually a different substance, which I thought was mud when I was feeling it. But now that I can see it, I know that it's, you know, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, there's the, there's a, and that intersects with a lot of things, but yeah, the, the, and one thing that that comes to, or one, one more piece of the astrology that pings for me, so we've got the Jupiter Pluto, right? And Jupiter is the ruler of Neptune and Pisces and no one can spin a yarn like Neptune. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Pluto, one of the basic significations of Pluto going all the way back to the first and second century um, was tr truth and the idea of truth. And um, Pluto, adding Pluto to that just like intensifies it. So there's like this deep seated, like penetrated need to find out what the truth is and to like uncover the truth. And sometimes that can lead you in different directions or into different hidden corners of like the internet um, trying to seek that. And sometimes you might find it and other times you might not you might get caught up in something else but but who knows everybody's going into different like corners of things in order to find the truth this year and sort of grasping at it with um you know greater or lesser degrees of success yeah i think there's that mm -hmm. sense of of going down research rabbit holes and there's also a very basic human desire i think to go back to some of what you were saying austin to feel like you have a sense of control over what's going on around you and in varying ways, we've all lost things that we thought we were in control of or char in charge of this year. We thought we, whether it was an illusion or it was real, we had a psychological sense of being able to be in charge of something. And this Jupiter-Pluto brings up, I think, some of the fear that goes with not having a sense of agency or control in kind of a collective, maybe shared uh, sense, just to add that other yeah, dimension. Yeah, there's the there's the um the effect on the psyche but um there's also just a game planning thing mm. right like if if you know what's coming up then you can game plan for it totally you know, even you can if strategize. it's very difficult right whereas like you can't strategize with a void of data yeah. like without a map like what you know if someone says oh you're going on a trip you're like oh okay great is it going to be hot I, i'll you know pack um shorts is it going to be cold i'll pack a coat and they're like oh you're just going on a trip yeah. Well, but is it going to be hot or cold? It's it's a packing a nightmare. Do I need my winter coat right? and my boots or do I need my <laughs> Am swimsuit? Am I going to the desert? Yeah. <laughs> do I need water to survive? Will they feed me on the on yeah. the trip or do I need to, you know, pack I don't know, beef jerky? Um it, it just it like and then that that of course connects directly to what you're saying about like there's a certain mm, Panic, um, or, a, or let's just call it anxiety. Anxiety, not, I think. Yeah, not knowing what to pack because we know uh, we definitely know we're on a trip, <laughs> right? We, things are moving, um, but the the destination is um, uh, significantly unclear. There are things about the destination, but in many cases, it's not enough information to accurately game plan. And so there's the the need to get the map so we can game plan better. Yeah. So yeah. Um, let's let's get on to and let's talk about your favorite topic, Austin, which is Mars stationing direct um, in this. What is it? The third week of 
Actually, end it's of the only second the second week. week late end second, of the second week. week. Friday the 13th. Yes. Okay. So around November 13th and November 14th, we have Mars stationing direct at 15 degrees of Aries. And this is actually also pretty close, just a couple days away from the new moon, which takes place in Scorpio. Yeah. Ruled by so, Mars. Ruled by, ruled Mars, by Mars. With Mercury back in Scorpio, also ruled by Mars. So Mars stationing direct, remember that was one of the main things that really focused on, especially in the third quarter of the year, was the Mars retrograde that was going to start in September. And the lead into that you know, began all the way back in, uh, what was it, late June when Mars moved into Aries on the 27th of June and started the buildup for that, um, just because it would then be moving through that sign for like the next six or seven months um, for the entirety of the second half of the year. And it's interesting now that we're getting to not the complete end of that, but the end of that act with Mars stationing direct at 15 Aries here right in the middle of November. Yeah. So mm, I have several things to say about this. Bef before I say any of them, um, I want to uh, I want to give a martial arts example of Mars retrograde in Aries for anybody okay. who follows. No, this is this is a completely relevant. It's not okay. It's a it's relevant not an unrelevant martial arts example, no. like usual. So um, on Saturday, two days ago, um, Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov, um, who is a Dagestani mixed martial arts champion and a huge celebrity uh, around the world, especially in the uh, the Muslim and Russian speaking world. Um, completed his epic run of 29 and zero, uh, defeating the defeating Justin Gagey, who everyone thought was the biggest threat ever, very quickly and handily. Now, why I bring this up is that, and then he announced his retirement with a perfect record. Khabib is Mars retrograde in Aries, and there's only been one of those um, since he was born. Like, this is that one. Mars doesn't go ret retrograde in Aries very often. often so no. for those... For the the people born basically second half of 1988, um, this is their their first true Mars return, right? It, it took 32 years, uh, and so and so we have the literal completion of an epic Mars story. Like this person, like um, uh, Dagestan is rough, right? You don't expect to be a world famous um, millionaire. Um, if you, if you're most people in Dagestan, uh, most in, in the, in the richest countries in the world, that's not even necessarily an expectation. Um, but Khabib literally wrestled his way to the top. Um, and we have this perfect completion of retirement with an unblemished record for this Mars retrograde mm. Aries native while Mars is retrograde in Aries. Right. So I, you know, I, I think Khabib gets to be the avatar of Mars retrograde in Aries. Um, and what was really interesting is his, his previous sort of biggest fight ever, I believe it was the best selling, the highest selling pay-per-view ever for mixed martial arts was against Conor McGregor, who's also Mars in Aries from 1988, but it's direct and before the retrograde. And I thought maybe destiny might call them together again to fight during this period. I was incorrect. He ended up fighting Justin Gagey. I looked at I looked at Justin Gagey's chart. Oh, guess what? He's in 1988 with Mars and Aries, but it's direct after the retrograde. Um, and so this this is like the story of this one Mars cycle in 1988 playing out again. Um, you know, in front of millions of people. 
um, and you know, bringing bringing a whole like a whole chapter of life to closure. I thought that was really neat, and it was really it was uh, it was interesting. Is it, it was beautiful, it was epic, and it was also sad because Khabib's father, who had trained him since he was a little kid, had died over the summer, and he literally said, "I'm going to uh... stop fighting. I promised my mother, um, like I'm I'm done." And we talk about Mars retrograde, like like putting down. He literally puts down the gloves. Mm. Um, and I believe it was Debbie Stapleton who pointed this up, pointed out the poetry of this to me uh, yesterday, like the putting down the gloves, deciding, because a big part of Mars stations, direct and retrograde, is opening up this question of when to fight and when not to mm. fight, right? And so he completed, you know, this Mars retrograde Aries to Mars retrograde Aries 32-year thing and says, I'm done. I'm putting down, uh, I'm putting down the gloves. So mm. pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, Love it. Did you, do either of you have any uh, good anecdotes, or did you see anybody that had Mars station or go retrograde in that whole sign house and and had it match with some topic in that house in some significant or or compelling way? I mean, it's definitely been coming up in client consults, but I don't know that I can share those stories publicly. Um, I've, I've mostly, yeah. um, I mean, uh, so for us and for a lot of people on the West coast, Mars's station retrograde is when everything caught fire. It was mm. when there was the dry conditions with the, like the, the crazy wind at the same time, that combination, that lethal combination of dryness, wind and heat. Um, and so literally we were just stepped outside the door and saw everything's on fire. Um, <laughs> like we could see fires on the hills from the house. Um, and so that was the beginning mm. of the Mars thing. So it's interesting for me that put pressure on a health indicator in my chart. And so that smoke inhalation contributed to me, you know, complaining about, you know, not feeling too good and my, my organs being in a wretched state, which I did earlier. Um, mm. oh, of course I didn't even think about that for you. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, well, I had some various things that happened, but I'm still waiting to see how they play out in the rest of this, especially when Mars stations direct. So I'll have to, I'll have to put it- I look a, forward a, to your report. Yeah. I'll have to report back after this month is over and we'll, we'll see, especially once I switch into my new perfection year on, on November 1st and get out of this wretched 12th house perfection year that I've been in for 12 months now, uh, successfully having survived it just barely. Um, all oh, right. we were, so, the, yeah. we forgot, we forgot to begin the month with the most important thing. Of right. course. My solar Happy return. birthday to Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Well, luckily, uh, I'm going to bake that, that Mercury Saturn square from the beginning of the month <laughs> into my solar return chart on Lucky November 1st. <laughs> so that's exciting, but at least I'm going to be in a first house perfection year and I will take that over a 12th yes. house perfection year. That is a wonderful change. Yeah. Yeah. We welcome you back to the world. Thank you. I will reemerge like a, a butterfly uh, emerging from its cocoon state, which I've been in uh, for the past 12 months of being in my bedroom sick and recording podcasts all year, and we'll see how the next 12 years go. All right. So Mars is stationing direct. There's going to be forward movement. Austin, in our pre-show chat, I know you mentioned, and I think this is a good 
speculation that that's going to be Mars stationing could be really tense, and there could be some yeah. in terms of well, the election I, I, and if there's any remaining things left over from that being stirred up into um, you know anger or other similar yeah. Mars significations at that time. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's when whatever the fight is actually becomes clear and actually gets hotter. Could be wrong about that, but gen um, generally speaking, it's not that Mars is uh, Mars is angry when it's retrograde and peaceful when it's direct. Like Mars direct um, is equally angry <laughs> uh, in some ways. More, um, it's it's a matter of motion. Um, mm. you, you, you see a cl the conflict will get clarified by the direct station, but sometimes the conflict, like that clarification looks like, oh, we weren't sure how are we going to put you on the schedule, but it looks like you're definitely, you know, fighting this person on Saturday night. Uh, you're the third fight on the card. You're definitely yeah. going to fight. Here's the fight. Right. right. And that, that's not, there's a clarity about that, but that doesn't mean that it, that, that it is peaceful. In many ways, it's like, oh, this is my this is and on a personal level, oh, this is my fight. This is what I'm willing to struggle against and for, right? Because Mars, you know, people talk about, you know, how much fight does the person have in them? They don't have much fight left in them, right? Like mm. to a certain degree, Mars is is um your reserves of fight and what that is dedicated to, right? And so there's um, you know, there's often a, a clarification. Um, and, a, and a greater certainty about what you're going to use your fight for, right? It might be, you know, yeah, it could be anything. Um, but it's it's about forward movement. It's not about a lapse into peacefulness. Yeah. Whereas sometimes I, I could see that in some of the instances I noticed uh, when Mars was stationing retrograde back in September of a potential conflict that then was. Removed or sidestep or or kind of put off temporarily, but which would come back later on, probably when when Mars stations direct. Um, so I could see that how that might work out in different scenarios. So here's yeah. a um, here's a super depressing quick anecdote. It's not depressing. Mm -hmm. It's more ominous than it need be, um, but it's good and it comes to mind. So the um, the German invasion of Poland. Um, was delayed and delayed and delayed during a Mars retrograde and because everything kept getting fucked up. And then when Mars went direct, the invasion happened, right? So that wasn't mm. a good thing. In strictly military terms, if you were in that military, it's like, oh, things are finally going in you know, the direction that we intended. But that that's right. not a peaceful result, but it's a certain result was where there was uncertainty during the retrograde. Yeah, so simply a delay in... The conflict conflict is delayed during the retrograde or the station, but then mm -hmm. the delays are removed and conflict is engaged when it goes direct. Right, like there's a real clarity there, right? And the you know the the um, you know the English are like, oh, what are the Germans doing there? Are they going to invade? Are they not going to invade? Is this a you know? It's like oh no, no, Mars direct. It's clear what the conflict is. Yeah, I think the clarity is important. And then the other point that I think about Mars in November is that the station direct, obviously, you know, we're all looking forward to Mars not being retrograde anymore. But in terms of pace and movement or progress, 
Mars actually is only sitting on two degrees through the whole month of November. It kind of comes in from 16, stations at 15. It's hanging out at 15 degrees for a couple of weeks, and then it just inches towards 16 degrees again by the end of the month. So Mars is... The way that I've conceptualized this is it's not that Mars starts running again out of the, you know, station right. direct. It's more like a pivot in place that might have a step forward, if you like. And that it's- conceptual framework might be appropriate, you know, so we don't expect too much mm-hmm. right after the station direct date. It's uh, it's a forward march moment. Yeah. Like the command Which is given, a- but it takes a little while for the troops to maybe... Well, yeah, it doesn't mean you've arrived at the battlefield, but there's like, you know, forward march and then the movement starts in the direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really going to depend on, you know, for people individually, if they have any planets at 15 degrees of the signs, especially the cardinal signs, uh, Mm -hmm. because Mars will be on that degree of 15 degrees all month. And also if you have like a day chart or a night chart, like a Night chart people might experience that if if that degree is sensitive for you as that that idea that you guys are talking about of like a forward march and of like a change that just something that prompts you to start moving again in that area of your life or with respect to that topic that it's hitting in your chart. Um, but maybe people with day charts or if that's um, a little bit more sensitive of a spot for you might be um, felt more like an irritant or an irritation. We were talking last month, I think about. Mars as like the spicy ghost pepper or something like that yes. that is, you know, burning or irritating and sometimes that can force you to do something or make a change but it's like doing that as a result of just like getting away from that irritant or that pain or that sharp um sort of pain that occurs during that time. Yeah, I and I, I think it's worth looking back at how uh, uh, how a person experiences Mars retrograde periods? Um, I um, they're my least favorite, just in terms of my energy levels and my you know my mood, my productivity. Um, I do really. I and I was born with Mars on the other side of the sky, with Mars and the Sun sharing a sign. So I was born in literally the opposite phase from the retrograde, which is I think part of why I dislike or I vibe poorly with the Mars retrograde periods. Um, but I, and certainly a lot of people who like, like, a you know, a, a sort of normal Mars, right. That marches forward, that gives you a reason to endure pain, a reason to struggle the, you know, um, fills your gas tank up with a willingness to, you know, fight to carve out your little life. I love Mars direct. I'm super looking forward to it. Um, that's not universal, but that's like a chunk of us are going to just feel better. Be like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And it doesn't mean that it's fun or it doesn't mean that it's pleasurable in like a Venus way, but it means that it's meaningful, right? When, when Mm. Mars, when Mars is happy, we have a reason to, to endure suffering because we're trying to get something done. And of course it's not always going to feel good, but if we're certain in our course, that gives us the ability to, to you know, to endure or shrug off uh, pain or unpleasantness, and so I like that that Mars direct certainty personally. For sure, forward movement. Um, all right. So, are there any other things talking about, especially talking about the third week of November that we need to touch on? We have that new moon that's taking place in Scorpio. It looks like at about what twenty three degrees. 
23 Scorpio on the 15th, I think. Okay. Uh, maybe the 14th Pacific time zone. So at that point, to- we have starting a new lunar cycle, starting a new lunar month, mm-hmm. laying the foundation for the next 30 days. And in the context of the forward March analogy with Mars retro, it is interesting that this new moon is ruled by that Mars, which has just mm-hmm. stationed direct. So it's sort of this, you know, Mars station direct is the forward March signature as we've been talking about. And then that new moon in Scorpio is sort of a bit of a, let's focus on the next 30 days or the next four weeks. So it's this real interesting sort of reiteration of that theme of, right, what are we doing for the next month? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So laying the foundations for the next month. Um, there's not really any close configurations to like the degree of the lunation in the way that we've had in previous months. It doesn't look like there's a nice, at least um, in terms of hard aspects, but there is a nice sextile that's very, very Jupiter. close from Jupiter. Yeah. So that's pretty positive and optimistic. Um, you know, more so than like let's say our, you know, new moon, what that was in Libra conjunct Saturn and like squaring Mars last month. It's definitely nicer to have a benefic, you know, throw you a bone, I guess. <laughs> I guess. It's um yeah, it it's still I, I think the um from a distance, it's just gonna kind of look like Mars. Like yeah. it's right after the station. It's Mer- it's the sun and moon, you know, meeting up in one of Mars's places. Mercury's back in Mars's place. Mars just station. I think it's just like there's there are going to be other pieces of it, but I think it's just going to look like Mars. Yeah, lots of yeah. Mars from so, from thirty thousand feet. It'll look like Mars. Let's see. So what which, else is going on? Yeah, which will Go feel ahead, a little Kelly. bit like. Um, you know, taking action, maybe clarifying a choice, moving forward on a decision, uh, that kind of thing, which I think will be welcome. Right. Uh, so let's see other things in this chart. Venus is at twenty-two Libra. It's applying. It's exactly square Pluto and applying to a square with Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, Mercury is applying to that third and final opposition with Uranus pretty closely. It's only three degrees away. Um, so those are some of the other signatures we have in this chart uh, for the new moon in Scorpio. So um, you know, unexpected disruptions with the communication and still some anxiety and up in the air and maybe technological snafus uh, with the Mercury Uranus opposition and um, some issues with like controller manipulation with the Venus Pluto thing, but Venus Jupiter is a little bit more optimistic, I think. Yeah, there's something really interesting. Um, If you pair back what Venus is doing to sort of like traditional planets, she'll oppose Mars early in the month and then she Mm. moves to square Jupiter. And the Venus-Jupiter square happens around the 16th. So that that to me was just an interesting signature of like Venus engaging with a malefic and then moving towards a benefic. Now, it's not a benefic, you know, Jupiter's not in great condition, but just that shift of talking to Mars and then talking to Jupiter. I'm kind of intrigued about what that might bring forward, you know, whether there's something a little bit nice just on a passing, you know, personal level that we might get out of that Venus Jupiter interaction. Yeah, I mean that's been nice or what's nice it's been a major shift from previous months from the past few months once um Mars and Jupiter completed their last square because it switched them up because previously 
all the planets that ingressed mm. into cardinal signs were applying to Jupiter all month. And then once they completed that square at some point, like halfway through, then they were applying to Mars and Saturn. But here, uh, most of this month, we have a, a switch where they all have to get through Mars, which is stationing first, and the more difficult configuration, then they start applying to, to Jupiter. Yeah, it's just a little change yeah. in the connections. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. We have all the benefics, you know, both uh, traditional benefics and both traditional malefics, um, kind of all in a T square pile. Mm. Right. All right. So, uh, moving on after that, in terms of the third week, to the ingresses. The ingresses at the end of the week. Okay. So, the two main ones happen on the same day, pretty close to each other. Uh, it is the sun's ingress from Scorpio into Sagittarius, which takes place on the twenty-first, uh, and then there is Venus's ingress into Scorpio around the same time also taking place on the 21st. Yeah, so. that's that's quite a mood shift. I think I can't remember. I think Venus technically goes first, doesn't she? And then the sun follows a few hours later. Yeah, looks like it. So, in terms of just to very briefly mention um some of the Oh no, this is irrelevant now. Hang on. I'll just um <laughs> strike that from the record. Was it from the previous week or what? Yeah, and it was more just a, I was going to make a brief political comment, but Biden's already had his birthday by now. Um, when is that? Because that's the actually 20th. His Biden's birthday is the 20th um, of November, I think. Yeah, so he'll change Time Lords at that point from Venus to Mercury. Um, Trump will continue to have Venus as his Time Lord. So, the dignity change of Venus is quite interesting, obviously going from a place of, of sign-based strength to a place of sign-based weakness. So that may be interesting in the political story to a certain extent, uh, but from an like an experiential, like a day-to-day -day personal uh, piece, there's a real sense of wanting to get into the depths of things. That Venus in Scorpio will be ruled by Mars now direct in Aries. And there's a little bit more of maybe a sharpness or a specificity that I think might come into that sort of interpersonal relationship space with Venus in Scorpio uh, and ruler Mars in Aries. Yeah, and you, you mentioning Biden's birthday here was important actually because it's all tied in with attempting to figure out what's going to happen with the election. And that's one of the interesting pieces is that that's then a perfection repetition where if you go all the way back to the start of his political career, um, he was 29 years old in a sixth. He's in a sixth house perfection year now, and will be on election day. And so, one of the things that you do with annual perfections is you, um, if you want to know what what a year is going to be like in a person's life that they're going into, then you just take it back in 12 year increments to see what happened 12 years before, and then 12 years before, because the perfections always repeat every 12 years, and some of the symbolism. Then tends to repeat in the person's life. So if you take that all the way back, you actually get back to when Biden was 29 years old and he won his first um, political election, basically when he was 29 in a sixth house perfection year. Um, but then a few weeks later, he switched over right after that into his seventh house perfection year, 
um, activating that Saturn and Uranus placement on the descendant in the seventh house. And it was shortly after that that his wife and children were involved in a car accident, and his wife and I think daughter passed away. Mm-hmm. So that then he was going to like drop out of politics, but like I guess some other politicians and friends convinced him to to stick with it, and that then he ended up you know getting into office and starting his political career in that context. So that's an interesting repetition in terms of. Um, you know what that means for this election. Do you guys use perfection repetitions pretty regularly in your own practice? Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. So- um, no, I was just I'm nerding out on this a little bit because I love the timing. So November 72, Biden's in a sixth house perfection mm-hmm. ruled by Venus. And Venus is in Libra in 1972. Fast forward to 2020, he's in a sixth house perfection. Venus is his time lord. And on election day, Venus will be in Libra again. Like Mm. the time lord is sort of back in the same place around that same time of year, which wouldn't always be the case. Yeah, that's interesting. The time lord is in a place of strength by sign. It's just an interesting thing I just noticed. Does that end up being a year divisible by eight? Because like we were talking about the Mercury twenty-year cycle earlier, and Venus has oh, an eight, yeah. eight, eight, eight-year eight cycle. cycle. So sometimes in eight-year increments, Venus will line up and be in the same spot of the zodiac roughly on the same day of the year. That makes complete sense, actually. Anyway, but perfections yeah. are interesting like that because you can see repetitions in a person's life. You have to be careful because. When we did that last time four years ago with Hillary's perfections, which we don't have a strongly time chart for, which may have thrown things off, um, she kept hitting really crucial turning points in her career politically every 12 years. But sometimes they were like major jumps upward, and sometimes there were major jumps downward. So there was a question of which one was it going to be um, that time, and it ended up obviously being the downward jump. All right, so um, back to the transits. Talking so yeah, about we that. had Venus coming into Scorpio and the Sun moving into Sag. Right, and what's interesting about Venus, like one that's just as Kelly um, pointed out, just a difference in sign-based strength and also quality. Well, Venus mm-hmm. is in Libra. I, like I get the the impression of like offering the olive branch probably won't be taken with Mars uh, on a macro level with Mars doing what it's doing, but um, that doesn't mean that's not true on a, on a more individual level. Venus is at least going to try to bring some harmony and accord um, mm. while in Libra. But in Scorpio, you know, w- w- uh, where Venus is technically in detriment in a Mars-ruled sign, um, Venus is uh, a lot of times more interested and instead of wouldn't it be nice if we if we did this ate this had this you know like desiring a positive in scorpio i tend to see venus being very aware of what it doesn't want like yeah. that's gross right like uh, and that that's its own sort of mapping of desire and preference right is knowing for certain what you don't want mm. um but it, as a general like uh, as sort of a, a changed ingredient in the planet soup, um, it's less civil. Um, you know, it's less Definitely. civil. It's more willing to fight. We've got it's Mars ruled, right? 
Yeah, one sometimes it, saying there's a rearrangement of the sentence you just said as well, which is that sometimes Venus and Scorpio likes the things that others don't like, and yeah, that's totally. one of the things that becomes distinctive about it. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and we also have Venus is then going to do an opposition with Uranus, yes. right? Just like the sun did, just like the full moon was on, just like Mercury did three of. So, you know, <laughs> that's it's, it's one interesting thing that you continually rediscover when you're like, ah, Uranus is in Taurus now. And you're like, right. oh, and you think of it in terms of that place. But it also means every time something's in Scorpio, it's going to oppose Uranus. Right, it changes more than just that piece of the year. It changes the other pieces of the year as well. Scorpio time becomes Uranus time. Yeah. Yes. So this this is um, not the technological and like communication disruptions that we were talking about with Mercury Uranus opposition, which is well on its way to being completely over at this point with Mercury moving into the last decan of Scorpio or moving through the last decan of Scorpio, but this is an exact Venus-Uranus opposition. And sometimes the disruptions in um, unity or disruptions in relationships or in um, ways of attraction that Venus can represent when it hits those hard aspects with Uranus. Mm -hmm. um, so what is this going to mean I'm trying to think about either on a macro level talking about the world in general, or if we're just talking about this in people's personal lives. Well, so one positive way to work this, and I bet I'm preempting you, Kelly, I think because I think we're we're of one mind on this um, <coughs> with Venus Uranus is uh, Uranus is like let's stop doing the same fucking thing. It's, this feels like a cage, right? Um, and so just like changing it up, like don't like if you've been Netflix and chilling. Um, do something else, right? Uh, if you've been doing something else, have a night in, right? Like w just change it up. Um, like it, it, fresh air, um, fresh air, you know, whatever, uh, blowing through the heart chambers is kind of what this wants on a, the best way to work this generally on a personal level. 100%. I mean, that sort of old saying, a change is as good as a holiday comes in because there's a, sort of, this extreme, I mean, and, you know, holidays are a little off the board now, so we've got to think about how we can make those changes. But yeah, yeah. Venus Uranus is this restlessness and this boredom and suddenly feeling restricted by something that has previously felt quite comfortable or stable or even safe, we might say. When is mm -hmm. Thanksgiving in the US this year? Oh, yeah. So this Venus Uranus opposition is on Friday the 27th and US Thanksgiving is Thursday the 26th. That's hilarious. Ooh. Okay. Venus, you're at a stop. We got a nice on the socially distanced with, with Thanksgiving. A nice, yes. Yeah, with a nice moon, Mars, and Aries. Okay. Nice. I mean, to when ensure you that, that the dinner yeah. conversation is ever so civil. Um, sometimes when you see big Uranus aspects on, uh, you know, secular or religious holidays, you get this sense of like tradition with a twist or changing tradition. So sometimes, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that's a bit of a. Um, for sure thing this year. Yeah, Zoom Zoom Thanksgiving this year for, for everybody in the middle of a pandemic when the COVID numbers are like spiking up and nobody's traveling, but um, you know, setting up their webcams at the dinner table in order to connect with family despite being super far apart. Yes. Yeah, and for some it will be the novel pleasure of not having to see your family on Thanksgiving. Exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, or the freedom that comes from not having to do the travel or the obligation duty side of, you know, that type of celebration. Um, And, for you know, obviously we have listeners that aren't in the US and won't be celebrating, you know, Thanksgiving. So I think that idea of of shaking up routine that you were saying, Austin, and just doing things differently. You know, Venus, if she's about pleasure, then how can you experiment with how you take your pleasure or what gives you that sense of kind of Mm -hmm. satisfaction or um, fulfillment, if you like? So definitely, you know, whether it's a different food flavor or, you know, you're playing a board game instead of watching TV, you know, there's a variety of things you can do even within the space of your environment. Yeah. Um, All right. What else do we have going on this month in terms of the last few days? There's Neptune stationing direct around the same time on the 28th of November at 18 degrees of Pisces. Uh, looks like the only thing it's making a hard aspect to is the nodal axis, which is at 19 degrees of Gemini and Sag. And that's a little bit relevant because then literally the very next day we get the lunar eclipse, um, which takes place in Gemini. Uh, it looks like on the 30th of November. Um, yeah, at about what, eight degrees of Sagittarius and eight degrees of Gemini? Yeah, that's kind of the last. You know, November goes out with, with some fireworks. With an right ominous on. reddening of the moon, which will yes. be visible um, throughout the, in, I believe, the entire North American continent. It's not a total eclipse, it's a penumbral, but the, the, it's, it's one of those, uh, it, it'll be the ones where it looks like there's a stain on the moon, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Rather than the moon being completely gone. And because yeah, look at this um, here in in Denver, it looks like it's going exact. Um, what after one p.m. around or, or one a.m. to maybe two a.m. ish, it's going exact at eight degrees of Gemini. So yeah, that will be visible in the night sky, and Mars and setting you'll be able around to the descendant s- around the same time. And you'll be able to see a bright red Aldebaran uh, right next to the moon. It's an yes. it's an easy to see star. It's right on the ecliptic. Um, like that, that, that eclipse Royal star conjunction will be something you can just eyeball, you know, without any work. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's actually a really great point for people who are trying to look at things, you know, wait for a bright moon near something to have a look at it. I've been trying to kind of encapsulate how I think this full moon is going to feel or what, you know, just on an individual level we might be experiencing and some of the thoughts I had is, you know, the idea of Rahu being this sort of hungry, this insatiable hunger and the moon being in Gemini uh, at the time of the eclipse. And this idea of almost being overstimulated or just craving more information or I want to know what's going on. And so it feels a little bit like excessively head energy um, in terms of people maybe overthinking or some of that classic, you know, insomnia that could go with full moons and or with eclipses. Did you guys have any thoughts on that? Just how you might describe it for people from that on the day vibe? I think it's uh, going to feel about- kind of manic. Yeah, that's a great word. Manic is funny. I was thinking of Gemini keyword I often use is like chatty. Gemini placements are very chatty. <laughs> yes, I feel like social media might be buzzing. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of like words and a lot of discussion and talk is suddenly like kicked up at that point. Mm. Well, and I think it's going to be a little crazy making 
That's the kind of vibe um, I'm getting. Like, 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 yeah. Yeah, like manic, crazy making, definitely verbal, right? It won't, it won't be, um, it won't be, uh, it won't be a quiet couple days. Mm, all right. So we get a yeah. loud lunar eclipse that sort of caps off the month. Um, I actually have a nice little diagram here to share for eclipse season, which again was by Kyle at Archetypal Explorer, who is actually our sponsor this month. So check out archetypalexplorer.com. So this is just showing those two eclipses and how we enter into eclipse season with this lunar eclipse at the very end of November. And it tees up or, or cues the following and much more potentially important solar eclipse, which takes place on the 14th of December. So it's like entering into a important little portal where the luminaries start um, hitting new moons and full moons really close to each other enough to cast shadows uh, on the Earth. Yes, the total. I think the well, the eclipse in December is a total solar eclipse because it's right in the middle of that eclipse season. So it's going to be quite a dramatic one. Yeah, and also more importantly, it's it's um, falling in between some of those great outer planet conjunctions that are taking mm. place. You know, the Jupiter Pluto conjunction this month, but more importantly, the Jupiter Saturn conjunction next month later in December. Yes. Yeah, there's there's quite a sequence in um in mid-December. Right. Just over a couple days, we we have the the eclipse and then Saturn and Jupiter's movement and into Aquarius and conjunction. Um it's a lot of uh it's a lot of action. It's kind of weird how that happens because on. it's kind of weird how that happens because we don't always have the astrology. It's like the astrology itself is also culminating here. In November and December, at the end of the year, and it just happens to line up pretty well with the calendar year. You know, we don't always have that. We don't normally have that on different years. It just so happens that some of the most striking and important alignments of the year happen to fall at the very end after a, a long sequence of different alignments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the yeah the the natural calendar and the civil calendar are um, sort of in accord this year. Definitely. Yes. All right. Well, that kind of brings us to, I believe, the end of November. Are there any other major planetary alignments or things that we meant to mention but have not gotten a chance to for some reason? I think we've hit all the all the things. We'll have to save the Saturn Jupiter talk for next month when both Jupiter and Saturn finally get out of Capricorn and move into Aquarius and then form their much discussed conjunction that's coming up um, right around the time of the winter solstice on the 21st of December. Totally. And that's hugely significant for many reasons that we've all been talking about in various places and we will touch on again in next month's show. But also just, you know, it's just hitting me as you put that diagram up. Next month, Saturn will leave Capricorn after being there for three years. Like that cycle yeah. is in its dying weeks and and days now. And 
I don't know about you all, but I'm happy to change that cycle. I'm not necessarily saying what's coming next is going to be perfect, but I would, I've, I feel like I've got a good satin and Capricorn dose for now. And I'm, I'm ready to, to close the door on that one. Well, yeah. Kelly, what was the, uh, the axiom, the maxim that you mentioned earlier, something about changes like a oh, holiday? Oh, like changes as good as a holiday? Yeah. And I think that's a good argument for fresh hells. Like the, <laughs> these, these state, right? Like th- this hell has grown uh, quite stale, like onto the next one, please. Yes. Yeah, because at least there's a novelty component, you know, and then it's like takes a while to discover and uh, yeah. Yeah, well, next year we're going to be talking a lot about the Saturn-Uranus square again, which we got a a taste of in the late spring and early summer with some of the protests, but I don't Mm. think we we really – I think that was just a little taste, and it'll be interesting to see what that's (laughs) like when we get a full exact square of Saturn and Uranus next year. Yes. Indeed. Now, uh, and the year we, after. Yes. Mm, okay. Um, one of our listeners in the live chat, because we are recording with a live audience, Chris, you want to give us an auspicious election for the month? Oh, yeah. I, I think it's towards the that. end of the month anyway. Uh, yes. Yes. It is. Uh, let me see if I have that. Let me animate the chart. So, um, our auspicious election this month, where each month Lisa Scheim and I pick out the most um, auspicious electional chart we can find for initiating different types of ventures and undertakings using the principles of electional astrology. And this month, the electional chart that we picked was later in the month because we kind of wanted to get away from the Mercury retrograde, which is still you know, coming out of the Mercury retrograde at the beginning of the month. Mercury's still picking up steam and still starting to move forward again, and it's also getting that opposition from Uranus. We also wanted to wait until after Mars station direct, so again, that there's more forward movement. Um, so what we ended up with was an electional chart set for November 28th, 2020 at about 12.30 p.m. with Pisces rising. So let me animate the chart really quickly so that you can see what that looks like. So moving it forward to the end of the month, November 28th. Um, set your chart so that you have Pisces rising, and it will look something roughly like this. So this is a day chart with Pisces rising. The ruler of the ascendant is Jupiter, which is at 25 degrees of Capricorn in the 11th whole sign house. Uh, The moon in this chart is exalted in Taurus in the third house, and it's applying uh, a little bit widely, but still within 13 degrees to a trine with Jupiter. So that's the main thing we're featuring this month, and one of the things we talked about on the Auspicious Elections podcast, uh, which we just recorded yesterday, and I'm going to release either later today or tomorrow, is just some months where things are not great for elections. You've really just got to, you know, uh, get down to the basics and focusing on dates when the moon is in de- decent shape, not being afflicted, and applying ideally through things like trines or maybe sextiles to the benefics. So this is capitalizing on the Moon-Jupiter trine. It's making Jupiter the ruler of the Ascendant. Jupiter also has a nice sextile from Mercury, which is at 25 degrees of Scorpio. Uh, Mars is in the second whole sign house, so this is not a great chart for financial matters, but it is a relatively decent chart for 11th house matters having to do with friends and groups and social movements with the ruler of the Ascendant in the 11th. 
It's applying to a conjunction with Saturn, but it's in a day chart, and there is reception between Jupiter and Saturn, so it's a much more manageable conjunction than it could be otherwise. One of the things we talked about on the um, podcast that we recorded yesterday for auspicious elections is just um, you know those Jupiter Pluto conjunctions have indicated sometimes the amassing of power and wealth, and sometimes that's gone. You know, majorly downwards for some people, but other people have been the opposite. Have been tremendously excess, uh, successful and able to draw and att- attract more power and wealth to themselves this year. Sometimes through luck and circumstances, and other time, thi- other times through like shrewd business investments. And you know, companies like Zoom, for example. Which we've been using for several years to record these podcasts, but then all of a sudden this year with their lockdowns due to COVID, suddenly everybody's using Zoom and their stock prices have skyrocketed and their business has been booming. So sometimes certain people find themselves in those sorts of positions to sort of capitalize on bad situations or bad scenarios, even if things are going not super well for other people. This is to some extent a little bit of a chart like that. There are some problems financially, but for in terms of eleventh house matters, it's pretty decent. Um, yeah, and basically just trying to take advantage or find a rising sign you can use when the moon is still applying to Jupiter. Um, what other things do you guys have any comments or any things that you would use this chart for if you're needing to start something in late November? I mean, it's such slim pickings at the moment that the rules you're talking about where it's like moon making a decent aspect uh, to Jupiter uh, is kind of, you just, you do that. I think we're actually recording under that now, the month prior. Uh, right. We're looking at the, you know, there's there's really not a lot of other aspects to choose from. So Is that could, what we did today? I oh yeah, a, here's I the chart for now. The moon's not in Taurus, but yeah, it's making an application to um to Jupiter by sextile. Yeah, you're totally right. That's funny. So we picked the moon applying to sextile Jupiter with reception day for recording this podcast. Yeah. There you go. Um, The only other topic, like it's a third house moon in that chart you were uh, mentioning, Chris. So Mm -hmm. if, you know, I'm thinking, oh, that could be nice if I want to sit down and just slog away at some writing. Um, If I want to, I don't know, chat to siblings about something maybe. you just got to do the best. You, you can only work with what the sky's offering at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And so, so that's the election for November. Um, we found, I think, three or four other electional charts for November, which we put out in the Auspicious Elections podcast, which is available to patrons. Um, I'll release that later today or tomorrow, like I said. So you can sign up through our page on patreon.com if you'd like to get access to that. Uh, Lisa and I are also going to start putting together our auspicious elections for 2021 soon. Uh, some students of my electional astrology course have started turning in assignments where they're picking out electional charts for next year, and I'm starting to see some of those charts. And there's actually some really great elections coming up next year, especially in the spring and summer. So I'm excited about that because Jupiter's going to it's going to get out of Capricorn and then it's going to zoom through Aquarius in the first few months of the year and, and make it into Pisces by like May or something like that, right? Yeah, by mid-May. Yeah, so some some really nice Jupiter elections next year. Uh, so we will announce that probably on the next forecast episode as soon as it's ready. So that's the that's the election for for November. All right. Uh, so 
I should mention our sponsor for this month, who I've already mentioned several times because he keeps producing really cool graphics for us. But um, I'm really enamored with his website, especially this year, because we've had so much outer planet action and so much mundane astrology going on. And we've been needing to look at some of these outer planet cycles, not just as singular hits, but in the context of you know longer term planetary cycles that are um, you have the ebb and flow of those applications and separations over the course of the year. So um, the website I've been using for most of these graphics is called Archetypal Explorer, which is available at archetypalexplorer.com. So the website um, can be used to study both natal as well as mundane astrology. Um, it shows different um, monthly calendars and different things that you can look at to study direct and retrograde periods. Uh, transit timelines, solar activity, lunar activity natally. It also has some very nice different transit graphs that you can actually generate on your own. So much of the, most of the graphics that I've showed for like the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction or other things like that, you can actually generate for either mundane transits or your own natal chart through this website, uh, choosing different orbs, choosing different aspects or date ranges, and then it'll sort of generate a graph for you for that transit. It also has some delineations that are derived from the work of Richard Tarnas and his book Cosmos and Psyche. They've got a special deal worked out with Tarnas uh, to utilize those delineations, which is really helpful and really useful. I really like his um, interpretations. It's one of the better modern astrology texts. Um, let's see, transit calendars, different horoscope charts that you can generate for your birth chart and transits. And just a ton of different features. So, one of the other things that's cool about this is that it's a subscription service. So, unlike other astrology programs like Solar Fire, which is the other program I use, with Solar Fire, you have to pay several hundred dollars up front. But this is something that you subscribe to each month, and you can get either monthly or yearly subscriptions for relatively cheap. So, you don't have to just like pay everything up front. So um, it, they offer once you sign up a one month trial period or a one week trial period. So you can find out more information about that at archetypalexplorer.com. All right, and I think that concludes our forecast for uh, November of 2020. Do we have any? I didn't think we expected to actually get through that and survive that in anything under like three hours. Did we ever line up any miscellaneous discussion topics? Or do you guys have anything? Now um, we're like crickets. I mean, I feel like we, we talked about we so just many talked things. for two and a half hours, you know. Yeah, we we did a good. Uh, yeah, that was pretty pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think it'll be a disappointing level of stuff. Um, oh, I you know just one just funny anecdote along the way. So I was talking about the uh, uh, the Khabib Nur, uh, Nurmagomedov's fight, and I was I've been looking forward to that for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, big Mars retrograde in Aries moment, right? The avatar of that cycle. And here's the Mercury retrograde part. You know, it's this is a Mars ruled Mercury retrograde. The I didn't we uh, I didn't know what time the card was. Usually at, they start at 7 p.m. Pacific ish. And I went to check it that day. And because it took place, I think it was in Abu Dhabi. Um, it took place at 11 a.m. Uh, uh, on Saturday rather than 7 p.m. 
And so I, I, I got spoilered as soon as I went to check the time. So there was the Mercury retrograde piece on top of the, the Mars retrograde piece. Nice. And I was like, oh, that well, and I was like, just pretend you didn't see that. Watch how it happened. I'm sure it's fascinating. So, you know, I just, I did the like, see no evil uh, as soon as the spoilers popped up. <laughs> um, oh, in, in kitten news. Um, Kitten Sumo Watch 2020 is Kitten Watch 2020. Sumo is she around? Um, like uh, we knew, we knew she was a large breed. She's a Maine Coon. Um, oh, come on, sweetie. Um, she's about as big as a small adult cat at five months year, five months old. That's so we, insane. We both feel a little robbed. We feel a little robbed of kitten time. Like you know, tiny and adorable. She's still adorable, but like we're like, but you're huge. Sweetie, is it okay if I pick you up? Let me let me see. She's right here. Oh my god, it's so cute. I have the opposite. One of my cats, well, both my cats are 11. So they're more mature ladies, but one of them still looks like a kitten. She's she's just a, a little thing. Wow, oh, that is awesome. a gigantic so, kitten. Yeah, 5 5 months old. Yeah, for those listening to the audio version, he's holding a cat the size of a small mountain lion right now. You got to talk, Austin, so we can get like a larger version of you. Let's maybe I'll pin your video. Yeah. Anyway, she's uh, yeah, she's gigantic. And there's a in terms of cat astrology, which you know at another time I may have been more critical of, but having a timed uh, chart for this cat, this cat and I have the same Mars. We both have Mars in early Pisces, and so Pisces ruleth the feet, and she literally hunts my feet. She doesn't do this with Kate's feet. She'll run from across the other side of the house to pounce on my foot. Love it. Like I'll, I'll be doing my my mantras in the office, and literally she's like hunting and stalking and savaging my feet. And I was like, okay, she's adorable. The, like we, I have, I have in my chart the karma to have my to have my feet attacked. You have foot attacking uh, power, planets, kitten, and so we're a good match. I love it. That's that's how she came to you. I mean, she's even her markings are just very, very attractive. Like she's just so oh, she's adorable. Oh, she's I mean, she's got an angular Venus. Oh, okay. And if, well, if and we, also if she's we want to do Yeah. If if we want to do kitten geotish, right? Take it to the next level. Um, her Venus is in Taurus and Angular, and so she would be. Uh, she would have the the powerful Venus Mahapurush Yoga, meaning she's an avatar or a great great being of Venus. Um, wow! And yes, she also she's fascinated. Is that be your with, sec second book, cat cat astrology after the Deccan's yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it'll it'll be that. Um, it'll actually it. just be the astrology of just my cat, right? <laughs> just it'll your be cats. that self-involved. That's the book that survives two thousand years later. The Deccan's yeah, that's the one long. that that people get. Oh my goodness! Right. Yeah, that goes on the Wikipedia. I would love that. All right, um, <laughs> uh, cat astrology. That should be a future episode. Um, I did want to mention. I forgot to plug. Uh, Jess uh, Jessica Lignato was just on, and she was promoting. Her Zodiac the Vote website, where she's trying to just encourage people, astrologers and astrology enthusiasts, to get out and vote in the U.S. on November third, or ideally before, if you want to like avoid the Mercury retrograde stuff. So, 
she's got some good voting guides and just different um like a mercury retrograde survival guide for voting which is actually pretty useful cuz it just gives you like some information on getting registered or filling out ballots or one of the things i thought was actually useful is just things to remember um when you go to vote like you know sometimes really basic stuff but things that could be really important like remember to bring an id because it would really suck if you went out and stood in line for like 5 hours and got to it to vote and then got turned away for something simple or something stupid that was like a mercury retrograde type snafu so you can find out more information about that on her website which is zodiacthevote.com and uh yeah i definitely encourage everybody to get out and vote and, and sort of participate in the democracy in this election i think is a good good you know encouragement to have absolutely yeah i'm looking i'm looking forward to becoming more knowledgeable about local politics now that i'm mm. like in a place like you know we just did apartments for 2 years here moved did apartments for 2 years there for i don't know most of my adult life and now that we're in a place um i'd really like to understand what's happening and you know cast my ballot for what i would like to happen yeah well it does make a difference and it, especially locally like with locally you can actually yeah. see individual politicians start from the very ground level and over the course of a few years you can watch them come up and sometimes you can have a major impact on local elections but i mean that's also true nationally like some of the states i think in the last election were decided with a very small number of votes so for the people mm -hmm. that sometimes think that it doesn't matter or your vote doesn't count or what have you i mean some elections like florida in 2000 came down to just a matter of like thousands of votes which is really not that many people. Yeah, no it's not. Yeah, and and even it's if you're cynical about the national like even if you're yeah. cynical about the national like are you really cynical about like even your county? You think that like that's a much harder uh case to get super cynical about, you know. Right. Yeah, it's the local politics is really interesting um when you are like Austin I think it's a great point when you're anchored in a place for a while then you you can see more of a direct connection between who you vote for or, ha or voting and the, the democratic process and things that do or don't happen. You know, do you get speed humps down certain roads or speed limits and things like that. Um you know, there's things like that that really, you know, can have an impact on your day to day with you may agree or disagree, but it's it's sort of makes it more real or it helps you connect to the process when you can see a little bit more of a direct connection. Yeah, you want you want to reelect the sheriff. Yeah. Right, these are, you know, these are real things. Right. Yeah, one one thing in our local town where we live in Canada is, you know, can you have chickens in your backyard, you know, and there's right. there's an yeah, chickens fall under the exotic animal rule there. So, you know, there's <clears throat> it's come up petitions I mean, over the maybe years. Maybe if they're fancy. No, no, they're just the way the the law, the local law or ordinance was written. So it's those kinds of things where, oh, well, you know, do we want to maybe change that? Is that law now thirty years old or what have you? So it's just really interesting. Yeah, or even going back to the national level, like the ap appointment of Supreme Court justices, which is happening right now, and the people that say, well, it doesn't matter, or it'll just last for four years or eight years, but then. You know, Supreme Court justice gets appointed, and then that's a lifetime appointment, and has really tangible results on certain things. Like you know, a few years ago when we started doing the forecasts, 
we started it under a Venus-Jupiter conjunction, the three of us together. And I remember it was around that time that in the US, the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So sometimes major you know, things come out of elections through things like Supreme Court assignments, and that's one of the things that's actually happening right now. Yeah. So I think when you start to connect those steps, you can see the the larger impact that your single vote can contribute to because the Supreme Court appointments in the US are lifetime appointments. So the younger somebody is when they get elected, the longer they will be there to potentially influence major laws. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Yeah. Uh, what do you have coming up in November? Kelly, you've got some a couple of events. Yeah, I'm coming out of a bit of a quiet period. So I'm kicking off uh, November 16. I start teaching a four-part course on, uh, I've got the details, you would just finalize this today. It's a four-part training called Plot Your 2021 and Plan for the Year Ahead. So we're going to do some classes on timing with perfections and transit timing for next year. So it's kind of an intermediate level general interest course that starts on November 16. And on November 21st, I'm giving my last webinar for the year, which is called Aspects of Fortune and Favor with Venus and Jupiter. So we'll be looking at some of the the nice aspects that Venus and Jupiter can make in the birth chart and what good stuff you can expect from them. So all the details about both of those will be on my website, kellysastrology.com. What about you guys? That sounds great. What do you have going on, Austin? Oh, not much. I'm trying to... um, Finally getting done with um, 36 Phases 2.0. Just the finish line is in sight. Just got to, you know, finish it. Um, I'm, I'm in that, like, that last 10%, which will tend to expand. Yeah. Uh, but I'm working on that. Um, finishing, uh, we'll be finishing up year one and year two in November. Um, and then uh, Sphere and Sundry has a series, which I elected, which will be coming out during the first half of the month. Um, very exciting, very powerful. I've been test driving it, um, or it's been test driving me, uh, would be what I would say. And there's another one, but that's not coming out until December. And, you know, I have some classes that I taught last year, like my astrology and tarot class, um, that I never put up for sale. Um, you know, I taught the class, we did it, but, and I had them, uh, I had them, uh, beautifully, what's the word? Sound recorded? shaved, yeah. Uh, sanded, sanded down, edited, uh, edited, made nice polished. To listen to, yeah. And they've just been sitting around. Twenty twenty has been so distracting. It's felt like there's never been a good moment to do anything. Maybe I'll get those up for sale. I got a couple lectures I gave last year that I also have recordings of, but just aren't up for sale. So maybe if I get done with faces, I'll move on to the uh, the Mercury retrograde pile of uh, <laughs> uh, of, of things which have been delayed. Yeah. <clears throat> Excellent. That sounds good. And what's your website again? Oh, austincopic.com. Brilliant. All right. People should check that out. As for myself, I mainly am going to be focusing on the podcast. I've got a bunch of major episodes I've been putting off but preparing, but um, that I've scheduled for November. And I don't want to announce the topics yet, but I think it should be a really good month and a really important month on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to getting into it and doing some of those interviews next month. Um, the only thing I want to plug is just I over the past year we started doing advertising, but also we started doing a sponsor card at the end of each episode. And I just wanted to let people know about that because it's been kind of a nice thing 
allowing us to buy some more technical equipment, and we're trying to upgrade Kelly and Austin's uh, video, which actually I think by the end of the year we should have probably accomplished. Um, but if you would like to sign up for our page on patreon.com slash astrologypodcast, we have the producer tier where you can get your name listed at the end of each episode that is produced each month. So um, here's our list of current patron uh, sponsors, which are Nate Craddock, Marin Altman, Thomas Miller, Bear River, Catherine Conroy, Michelle Marillot, Christy Moe, and of course our friend Sumo Kopic. Uh, so if you would That's like brilliant. to- <laughs> Yeah, thank sumo you. Sumo with to one clever cat. Sumo, thank you to she's Sumo a, she's and, an and investor. Caitlin Kopic. She's an investor. A prudent, it's a wise strategy move uh, to, to advertise mm -hmm. and have your name listed, name recognition uh, for Sumo and other astrology cats. So if you'd like to have your name listed at the end of each episode of the Astrology Podcast, you can find out more information about that at patreon.com slash astrology podcast. I just wanted to thank all the patrons for supporting our work here this year because it's made it possible to keep producing episodes each month and to get to episode, what are we at again, Kelly? 277? 77, my show notes tell me, which you wrote. I just have them printed in front of me. So then that means that we're going we're gonna to hit episode 300 in the coming year. We have passed 50,000 uh, subscribers on YouTube, which is kind of crazy this past month. And we're on our way to 100,000 potentially sometime in the next year. So the podcast is going to keep growing, keep expanding, and keep producing new episodes uh, next month and into next year. So thanks to all the patrons for joining us. Thanks to everybody. There's about like 200 patrons who showed up for the live recording today. So thanks everyone for your comments and everything in the live chat. We appreciate it. And it makes this a lot more fun and sort of interactive as we're doing these episodes. And uh, yeah, thanks Austin and Kelly for joining me today. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks everyone for watching this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Good luck in November, and we'll see you again next month for the forecast for December. So good luck yeah. and take care. Yeah. Good afternoon and good luck. Special thanks to the patrons who support the Astrology Podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons that are on our producers tier, such as Nate Craddock, Marin Altman, Thomas Miller, Bear River, Catherine Conroy, Michelle Marillot, Christy Moe, and Sumo Kopic. Find out more about how to become a patron at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Also, thanks to our sponsors this month, which include the Astrogold Astrology app, available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and also the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting an astrology conference August 18th through the 22nd, 2021. Find out more information at isar2020.org, as well as the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening May 27th through the 31st, 2021, and you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. Finally, the software we use here on the Astrology Podcast is called SolarFire Astrology Software, and it's available through alabe.com, and you can get a 15% discount with the promo code AP15.